Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Carl Nelson Show. You're rocking with the most awesome All right, let's go. And good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your Tuesday with us again. Later, clinical psychologist Dr. Jerome Fox will be back in our classroom. Dr. Fox is the author of the best-selling workbook, Addicted to White, The Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, a shame-based alliance. You know the book. But before we hear from Dr. Fox, Baltimore warrior lawyer, criminal defense attorney J. Wendell Gordon discuss the increased attack on black student-athletes through the Title IX provision. But we're going to start with publisher of the National Black Unity News. But uh, before we go to David Murphy, I've got to ask Kevin a question. Kevin, I, I was told yesterday that one of the traditions in New Year's is that from in I guess in, in the black communities that a black man has to be the first to enter the home or the first to make a phone call. On New Year's Day. On New Year's Day. Yes, on New, New Year's, Year's Day. Day. And it and it doesn't have to be an adult male as long as it's a male. Huh. As long as it's a male. It can be uh you know, I, I guess anything above ten, you know, you can be a twelve a twelve year old and and be the person that brings the blessing of a male entering the house, being the first person to enter the house on New Year's Day. And why is that? Um, because my grandmother said so. <laughs> <laughs> what? What, Kyle? Why are you questioning? Because you did it. That's what I figured. You know, yeah, the, yeah, I, did no, I haven't had the, uh, the sisters haven't given me the privilege of asking me to be the first one to come to their home or be the first one to call them on New Year's Day. Yes, That's what I'm asking. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's an old wives' tale, and so it must have been an old wife, like my grandmother, who came up <laughs> with it. It's, that's the best explanation I have. and that's, I think, it, it, Is it a Southern thing, or is it, do you know? Um, well, having been raised in the South, I can claim that it was a Southern thing. However, you'll be surprised when you're in, a, you know, in the northern area of America and people say they did it as well. You know, mm. but, but a lot of the stuff I learned in my life was from my southern upbringing you know including being hospitable you know hospitality is a southern right. thing right but is it or is it not you know out west they might be just as hospitable i've just never been there and uh, i've never been invited to be the first in someone's house in california but uh, i'm willing to now if you're willing, <laughs> if you're willing to pay <laughs> i'll be the first guy no problem but kevin do they have to know you or is just any male will do uh, no, no, they, they, I, I do believe it must be someone you recognize. It must be someone you know. You know, okay. it, it can't be like the plumber, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let's bring in David Murphy, because maybe he knows. Uh, David is the publisher of the National Black <laughs> Unity. <laughs> Good morning, David. Help us yeah, out yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But look, yeah, um, I, I, we was we was done this. Uh, I used to do the same thing myself with my grandmother and her mother told her as well, and I was invited into a lot of houses on, on that time. Right, come on right. in, man, because I need good luck for the, <laughs> I need know, for the rest luck. of the year. So you but had to visit well. your aunt, your cousin, you know, your yes. mother-in-law, you know, all kinds of people, right? Right, David. Yeah, it, even during that time, even though I thought I had bad luck, but they said, "Come on in." <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know, I think it may go a little deeper than that. Uh, well, explain you know, for us, know, David. A lot, of, a, a lot of these tales, you know, spring from somewhere. And uh, and it makes sense to me that if a, if a male entered your house, just not on the beginning of the year, but it shows significance that if a male is in a household, period, things mm. change. You have good luck anyway if you have a man. And that's why, you know, on the other side of these wives, they keep the man out the household. <laughs> and all hell breaks loose. But you know, I, you know what is kind of strange to me because we're in this this I guess you would call a feminist movement now, where women, you know, women independence, and they're saying that women didn't demand or require that a man be the first person to cross the threshold on New Year's Day because we'll give them luck. I, it just wow, you know, it's it just it was kind of because when I heard it was from somebody from the south was telling me I shouldn't, I've never been invited, so I must be in the wrong area. So, but David, you said you you did it too, right? Of course, all my life, you know, you know, they would See? not allow anybody coming <laughs> to your household until a male came through that until door. Until a male came in the door, even and if you, the whole you know, it's, 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 it's January, December. It's cold outside. <laughs> you woman, if you not. <laughs> so, but how does that make women feel, though? Uh, it, a man's got to be the first one to cross the threshold. It made them feel yeah. secure and safe, Carl. It was about the. Uh, the tradition, if you will, and uh, even if it, the whole family's coming in, right, and you've got your wife with you or something like that, you still had to go in first to, to bring that blessing to that home. Right? Am I mm. right about it, David? Yes, sir. 100%. <laughs> so, David, what if you're, you're a man in the house? Do you have to go out and come back in? No, not really. You know, once, once you're in the door, that's it. You know, then, then, then you know, everything is usual again. You know, and then, you know, they feel secure, but they was adamant about, I mean, the people that I grew up around, they were so serious about that tradition that they, I'm serious, they would not let anybody in that household until but, that man crossed that threshold. But, and that David, was, you wow. know, that was, but David, the way I learned it was, yeah, if you're already in the house as a male, then yes, someone else has to come in and, and mm -hmm. bring the blessing. Because you if you can't walk out and walk back in, you see, because you're already in it, it. It's not the same. It it has to be a brand new spirit entering the room. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mm. <laughs> and David, uh, uh, Kevin says that it's usually somebody you know. It can't be the the you know the the plumber or or the, or the electrician down the street coming for work or something. It's got to be something. Is that how you were taught? The cable guy. Yeah, yeah. It was always that way because you know if you was from, from, well where I come from, you ain't no there ain't no strange man coming through that door, so it, it wouldn't be no good luck. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's amazing. But in any case. 
And, and the uh, phone as well, the phone call, the first phone call's got to be, what if, you know, back then we didn't, we didn't have, uh, we couldn't tell who was calling. You know, we didn't have call ID back well, in the day. How would you know? You know, because like I say, when I was coming, most people didn't even have phones then. That wasn't even yeah, part of it. The, yeah, it wasn't about the phone when I, when I was okay. young either. It wasn't about the phone. But, but Carl, pardon this, I'm not trying to be nosy, but... What rock did you come from, man? <laughs> hey, you, you're in New York. You, you know, those things don't happen, you they know, unless you're from the South. Wow. You know, people, you, you, wow. you know, somebody has got to come in from, you know, because, you know, you're suspicious of everybody. That's that's <laughs> a new kind of thing now, you know. If somebody smiles at you, you go, okay, what does he want now? You, you, you get in a defensive mode, you know. Wow. <laughs> That's living in the city, brothers. <laughs> no. I thought it was southern migration, and um, we moved from the south and invented the north, and invented Detroit and Philadelphia and and New that York, too. if you will. Those towns, except of course, New York was a big uh, melting pot, you know, with the Statue of Liberty and inviting everyone into the country. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that. Uh, David, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that everybody did this. Everybody knew this, even though well, now, everybody now I knew. Everybody I know that was the tradition. You know, yes. I, I, you know, just it was just a normal way of life with us. You know, that was just straight up. You know, everybody did it. And, and I tell you why, it kind of shot me because people that I've known, I've known fifty. 50 years, you know, we talk about every day. All of a sudden, they dropped this on me yesterday. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> where did <laughs> you know? this come from? <laughs> yeah, where did this come from? How come, uh, did I miss the class when, when, when this was given in class? Or, 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 or uh, grandparents missed the class or something? But, you know, and I'm like, wow. That's in, it's just interesting. That's how I thought it was just really interesting. Because the, the times that we live in, Right. You know, with the the feminist movement, the, the, you think the feminists will agree to that? I think that's you know, kind of kind of find out that's kind of insulting that a man has to be the first person to cross the threshold on New Year's Day because there'll be no luck. I can hear them right now screaming. You, you, want, you want to be starting something, huh, Carl? Yeah. Okay, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that well, song uh, came from. To a be group. quite to be quite frankly, it was the women who insisted on it. Men didn't. You know, we just supposed to do our part. They the one who say this has to be done. It came from them, not from us. Right. That's yeah. what I heard too. That's what I heard too. It's the women who insisted. So I, I take it those sisters then uh, are not are not with the feminist movement. They're not down with that then. The feminist movement is a whole different cultural uh, <laughs> eventuality in uh, the history of America, Carl. Um, look, to this to this day, I still feel like, uh, you know, I should have gone to see someone, but I wasn't invited this time to anyone's house. But uh, uh, yeah, I still feel. David, do you feel like you miss it if you didn't go somewhere or like you were supposed to no. go? No, no, because no, because it, it's, it's a blessing on the other side, too, because do you know um I had to get up sometime one, two in the morning in the cold winter just to walk on people's house. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, that, you know, that wasn't cool, man, but you no, know. That's, yeah, that's a bit, uh, that is a bit extreme there. But in order to make your rounds, you had to start early, you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you, brother, because I know that the black eyed peas do the black eyed peas all the time. I mean, that's been passed down. But has anybody researched the black IP, some, some of these uh, idiosyncrasies, if you will, that we have in our community for the for holidays, these rituals? My grandmother had a story for why why the black eyed peas, why the collard greens, uh, why the pork. She had a story for that. And her story about the black eyed peas was because the peas come from the ground. 
then you huh. then you will prosper because of the uh, because of planting the, of the seeds and the and rooting your, your life. Then the greens are of course green for money. That's what that was about. The the pork was about the fact that that animal were, worked hard to to root into the ground as well to dig, and no one can dig better than you know than that animal. So <laughs> those are the stories, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard some similar to that. What about you, David? Well, I didn't I didn't know too much about the history. All I know it was supposed to bring um, good luck as well. That was part of you know the extension of walking through the door. All that goes hand in hand. All of yeah. it. Yes. And so you know, so um, and so you know, that's all I knew growing up. You know, even to, I had some black eyed peas yesterday. So <laughs> my grandmother even had one about the chicken. And and I'm just and, and listeners, please don't call and complain <laughs> and say we're talking about witchcraft or something. But uh, my grandmother had one about the chicken too, and that that was that the chicken. It can jump over the fence because it has feathers, and so you'll be able to uh, leap over any issues from the past <laughs> in your life as well. Wow! I'm you, I should write a book about the things. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Somebody out there, and I should do a book on all these rituals my, that we go my through. Grandmother I just, said, yeah. I'm my grandmother. So that's the title. <laughs> <Yep>. But <laughs> I, I just wonder if any other ethnic group has the same kind of uh, rituals they do go through on, on, on the holidays. And we just take a New Year's Day, for example, if they do have the same, you know, if they do the same thing, because you know, go, go in the grocery store, man, uh, around Christmas time, you see the black eyed peas shelves, they're, they're all gone. So I, I know it's not just us buying the, the black eyed peas, got to be somebody else. Well, like the Glory Food Company. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for glory. They they make my black eyed peas for me. But I bet you um, maybe somebody in Baltimore like Mark, he might know of a tradition from a different culture. He's always sharing his things with us. Maybe Mark will call. All right, yeah, Mark, our, our Jewish friend in Baltimore. Maybe he, maybe they have some uh, things that they do. They, 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 you know, that's the whole thing. We. We never know everything. That's what I love about Neely Fuller. When you call me and say, Mr. Fuller, how are you doing? He says, I'm still learning. Still learning. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, that's what we're doing here today, family. I'm still learning. I'm learning. I, I just was, I learned this yesterday, as a matter of fact. That's why I asked Kevin and David Murphy to help us out here. Because uh, it seems more prevalent. It seems like I was out of class when, when, this, uh, when this came down, this reading came down. Or, well, or, or, you know, but inter interesting. But good to know, fellas. Right. Uh, well, thanks for asking, Carl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thanks for clarifying it. We've got promotional considerations coming up. So. All right. Uh, we got to take a break, Kevin? Yes, sir. Let's do that. All right, we'll come back. David, stand by. We'll be back in, uh, it's 15 after the top there. I'll be back in four minutes there. Folks, you want to join our conversation? We're going to have a conversation with David Murphy, the publisher of the National Black Unity News in Baltimore, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Good morning, family. It's uh, 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, David Murphy. David is the publisher of the National Black Unity News. And David, I know in your planning meetings uh, for uh, for the for this year, 2024, elections are at the top of the list in the national elections. But you have local elections coming up, the mayoral race in, in Baltimore. Is, is this getting a lot of interest? Is it getting a lot of steam in the city yet? Well... Based on local media, you know, they hitting the topic pretty regular. 
and and they, and it's about to escalate as as the uh, election nears. And um, but in our circles, I'm talking about black circles. Uh, there is a lot of conversation be- because um, most of the candidates are are well known, and um, and people already are. are, are, are in their camps already, and uh, you know the minds are already made up, and so uh, and that's usually the tradition of, of elections. I don't know about any place else, but here in Baltimore, you know, you know, regardless of sometimes what they stand for, what the issues are, people tend to join these camps and and and, and dig in. That's it. Uh, are you seeing more people interested, though, or more people uh, registering to vote? Are they showing interest in the elections these days? Because we keep hearing about the young people at the national level uh, 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 have sort of slacked off and because uh, they, they don't care about the, uh, the, 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 the two potential candidates, uh, if you will. But are you seeing that in Baltimore as well? Are the young people in Baltimore, are they kind of yeah, towards the election? Yes, because, and that's kind of understandable, too, you know, from their point of view, because in this short period of time being here, they haven't seen too much change. They hear the rhetoric, but they don't see the change. And uh, those of us who've been around, um, we got to confirm that as well. You know, it's a lot of talk, but, you know, hasn't too much been changed. And so uh, a lot of people, especially now, on the national level, people are really, <laughs> you know, just don't see any hope in either one of the candidates. And so, but, uh, you know, the old saying is, you just said, the lesser of two evils, I guess. But, um, yes, to your original question, there is uh, not too, too much um, stock into politics these days because they see it as a system like everything else. You know, it's rigged and ain't too much going to do, and ain't too much going to change. And so, uh, they, like I say, they just don't, you know, they're not excited about it. Well, what do you think can be done to change that? What, how can you create excitement? Do you, do you think we need a candidate that's that's, that's pristine and he comes out and he's, he's, I'm going to help the people on the national or on the local level? I'm going to make a change and, and people believe in, in believe and follow it. Someone who's got some sort of charismatic personality and people follow that person. Do you think that's what's needed to, to, uh, to you know, to shift this this trend where people just just not interested in voting? Do you think that's what need, no, what's needed? I, no, I don't think that's, you know, like I said, I'm just not encouraged either because, you know, we heard the same old song before many times. And uh, and and if you're wise enough, you already know there's a system in place. And no matter how charismatic you may be, when you get into that system, you're up against, you know, a David and a Goliath. So either you get along or you go along or you get along. And that's pretty much how that system works from my perspective. But the real change takes place, I think, from grassroots. You know, those people had their foots on the ground. Those local organizations and uh, cultural organizations need to start having some conversations with each other and uh, reason together and um, and put a, you know, we've been talking about this for years and years, putting together our agenda, what we want, not what they say they're going to give us. We heard that song before. But uh, until that time, until we learn the system from the bottom up, that's when real change will take place. 
Alright, 26 after the top hour, David Murphy. David is the publisher of the National Black Unity News. One of the things that David does employ or uses are young people. So I'm interested in what's, what's on their minds because, you know, that's the future. That's our future, the young people, David. What are they writing about these days? Well, they see a lot of issues out here. And, uh, and again, they don't want to hear the rhetoric, so they are deciding to. And this is what they're talking about. Uh, and I love it, you know. So they start with themselves, and they're making change for themselves. And, uh, and and they don't want to hear, you know, that old saying, you know, you know, follow this system, follow that. And so I see so many people, especially young entrepreneurs, you know, taking the bull by the horns and, and just running with it. But I do know one thing, and I heard it over and over and over again. They are looking for the elders to, to guide them, to get them some type of instructions not only in politics, uh, also in the homes and every place else. They, they have the, you know, tenacity to run. They can Google this and Google this about history and everything else. They heard the stories. But what they want to do, you know, and I don't blame it, they want to see change now, not tomorrow, right now. And so they're hungry, and they're going to do it. I'm talking about on one side of the track or the other side. That's why you see so much um, people out here, they're going to take what they want. Or you know, and, and that's the mindset they have. Instant, quick, fast, hurry. I'm gonna get mine. You got to get yours. I'm gonna get mine. That's the attitude they have. Mm. Do, do they blame us for you know for what's going on? Do they do they say that we fail them as adults? Well, that's always you know I, you know when I was coming up. I think I mentioned to you this one time when I was a young man back in the '60s. You know we you know we said the thing called generation gap. Anybody over 30, you know, they, they was out of it. They didn't know what was going on. And I don't think, you know, every generation before that, you know, I always thought that, you know, the prior generation had failed in some levels. And and they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they say, hey, you got to make way for the young folks, in which we do. But I always say this, Carl, you know, you can go this way or that way, but it does take the entire village. That true change and, and, and things are going to take. And a lot of young people, looking for sincere leadership, sincere people that's willing, you know, it's not what you say, is what you do. And, and, and they would check you in the heartbeat, you know, if you ain't about being about it, as they say, then, you know, they ain't got time for you. Yeah, I remember those days, uh, don't trust anybody over 30, <laughs> way over 30, and <laughs> you look back on it, but you know, that that was that was what we believed in, and we, but we seemed like we, we wanted to change the world back then, David, we, we, you know, we stopped the Vietnam War, we, we, we were about doing things, I'm just wondering, because you work closely with the young people, are they, do they have the same, the same zest, do they have the same spirit to, you know, to want to change, to make a change, make a difference, or, or are they just, you know, point the finger and say that our generation let him down well again because you know logically looking from you know like you said if you tried to look from their standpoint you know that um we've been around they say you know in this country we've been around for some time and they don't ha they see they didn't physically see what we had to go through what we went through and how we fought on our time and, and today, and, and based on what you know, the knowledge that they do have, they they um, you know, it's so disheartened. This this is what they tell me. I deal with some young people that work with the paper and everything. This is what they tell me. 
they see not only from the outside forces that is against them, but they see more so of the forces that on the inside, people who look just like them are letting them down, using them, abusing them, sellouts as they call them. And, uh, and, and and they don't have too much, I'm being honest, they don't have too much stock in us. And, and, and they believe that we have got the ball. We don't know what's going on, and, and they're more aggressive and, and, and uh, because they have been traditionally conditioned to think that way. And, and I hate to say it, through their music, everything else, it's all about me, myself, and I. They're not what you call in a unifying sense of mind. It's, it's about self, self-reliant. And I'm going to take care of me. You get yours, I'm going to get mine. And, you know, it's so all this unifying and, and we coming together. Now, there's a lot of people who does that. I mean, we got a lot of young folks who's on that same mindset. But, um, uh, again, they are, uh, uh, you know, they're not trying to include us, you know, but they're trying to, you know, start something new. Because I can say, that, you know, the old systems didn't seem to work. They just looking at their parents and their grandparents. You know, what have y'all done? Look, look, how can y'all allow this to happen to us? Yeah, but David, uh, 29 away from the top there, we, we, I, I can't speak for everybody in our generation, but for the most part, we, we went out there and tried to make a change, tried to make a difference, because we, we never looked at what, you know, our grandparents and our parents did. Uh, you know, for the most part, for, for folks I hung with, they, they felt like they, uh, they did the best they can with what they knew, what they had. So it's up to us to make a difference. I'm just wondering if that's the same sentiment with our young people today. Or is they, or well, do they think we've overcome? And it's, it's so it's a different, it's a different fight they're fighting. Well, it's a different fight because uh, uh, yes, you know, in our time, you know, we stood on some great shoulders. You know, that's before there was a concerted effort, not from within, from without, that has penetrated not only our the organizations that we belonged to back in the day, uh, not through media and everything else. They had been program they have been the school system everything around them has is failing them police departments and everything else that they see has failed and 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 this was on our watch as they see it and 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 like i say that they're fighting more battles see we didn't have to we you know we had people who would sell us out but we didn't have they would we had some sincere people back in the day that would sit, would lay down the leg. They was on the front line. They was willing to go to jail. They was willing to do this and stuff. So you will follow a person who sincere like that. But today, this day, you don't see too much of those type of individuals out there. I'm talking about elders now. I see them, but they don't. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that's by accident or by design. Do you think, uh, you think there's, a, there's a reason behind that to keep our young people stirred up? If, how do you see it? Because you're in the you're in the media business, yeah. Yeah, how do you see it? I see it by design. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, this propaganda tool is so powerful, so powerful, and and, uh, and they even tell them what to wear, what to watch, and, and everything else, how to go this way, this that, what's important, what's not. Get the bling head by any means necessary, but they are not told. You know, let me just say this to you, Carl. Now, a person like yourself, that you, you had traveled many roads in media. You had interviewed and talked to so many people, and you had so many opinions from so many different people. But unfortunately, 
and I and I I'm the same way. I travel many roads and, and, and talk to many people. But at the same time, a lot of young folks, even my children, I had to pull them up and let them know, you know, the significance that I make and significance that other people are making. But if you don't have people in their household, in our community, do you know, I don't know on, on your statistics, how many, you know, if they had listened, will listen to your show, if they will pick up the National Black Unity News, there's so many other great things are happening for black people out here today. It would be a total dis- uh, mindset. But again, you and I is in the media that we don't, like I said, always say, we own less than 1% of the media. So we have a very teeny small voice in this country. 90% of the stuff they're hearing coming from outside. And we both know that this outside forces do not view us in a, in a positive way. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, they leave, they, they, you know, they, 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 like I said, they just, they tired of the rhetoric and they, like I said, they, well, I'm going to do it by myself. I, I'm not going to wait on nobody. I'm going to do it just with me. That's yeah. the attitude they have. Yeah, because the media and the, media, the people don't underestimate the the the, uh, the ability of the media to to uh, you know to mold minds. You know, the media back then, when we were listening to a Curtis Mayfield, we were a winner. You know, yes. uh, listen to Curtis and, uh, and what he was saying and the impressions. You know, we that's what we we we, did, we thought about. But now the music that they're getting and the entertainment they're getting is to degrade each other and put us put us down. And, and and some of our young people, the minds are malleable, and, and, and they believe that, and, and they want to be like that for some reason. I'm just wondering, from where you sit, because how come that didn't happen on our watch? We, we didn't have that kind of raunchy music and entertainment. Oh, well, I, well, I can tell you this. When we was listening to the Curtis Mayfields and the Smokies and everybody else telling us to take up not physically on, but to, to, to talking about unity, love. I'll tell you what, hold that thought right, David. We've got to take a quick break here. I'll, I'll let you tell us about that when we get back. 15 away from the top, they have family. Our guest is uh, David Murphy. He's the publisher of the National Black Unity News in Baltimore. You want to speak to him, reach out to us. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. James Brown talking, we black and we proud. And we had all of these great organizations pumping it up. And we stand, you know, from in our college camps, everybody was on one accord. We're going to make some changes. But today, we have been penetrated on every front. Every front. And, um, and, and they don't get this type of positive information that we were fed. Unless, unless. You, I, and, and everybody else out there, you know, we, they, they, you know, we have to go to them. They're not going to come to us. And uh, I belong to a lot of organizations, Black Men Unifying Black Men, the Maryland Council of Elders, the National Black Council of Health. And we all saying the same thing. How do we reach our young people? Because there's a disconnect. They don't fully understand the role that we have played so that they can do what they do today. And uh, but like I say, we're up against a force that 90% of the information they're getting, like I said before, it's coming from outside. And that's a powerful, as you already know, media is a powerful force. It changes people's mindsets. And they, and they turn that mindset on, on us. They take the same thing that we would listen to that was positive. Now they taking the music and turning it on them. You ain't this and you ain't that. You know, disrespect your women and I'm gonna get mine. By any means necessary. And we had a different meaning by any means necessary. 
Right. And, and and the thing is, though, that never happened on our watch. Or if it did, it did. It never penetrated our minds because we were so. We, we, I think. Correct me if you if I'm wrong on this one. I, I think we were more uh, united. Your thoughts? Yes, we were at the time because we had a lot of uniting forces at the time. But uh, unfortunately, with our young people, you know this thing called lack of knowledge. People perish. It, it's not dying or anything like that. It's discipline, self-control. And, and, and see, we, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's the truth. Most of our households, we don't have discipline or control. Our community, we don't have discipline or control or our government. We don't, we, I'm talking about black melanated people. So there's chaos in our homes, chaos in our community. And, and we are actually physically dying, mentally, spiritually, and everything else. And that is by a concerted effort. And, uh, and, and, and they use weapons of mass destruction. Not only do they use media, but they take our brightest, our sharpest, and turn them in on us. And, uh, and that's a bad, that's a, a, a rough battle to fight when you don't see yourself in a positive light. Society don't see you in a positive light. You're up against the whole world. Even your own people are turning on you. So that, you know, that, that they end up, they in a bad space, you know, right now, you know, from the, you know, inside looking out. But there is hope, and um, and, and there is people like yourself. There is uh, organizations like the National Black Unity News are shouting out, we recruiting young people. Over this last week, I went to several um, Kwanzaa celebrations. There was quite a few young people there. They was getting educate, educated. And, and, and now we are not waiting for them to come. We are now going to them. We are going to try to go to their meetings now. You know, you know, like I said, I'm one of those type of people, man. You know, if you ask me, I'll pour it out on you. But like I say, we have to, you know, make a concerted effort to reach to each other and educate. As long as we keep sending our children to them, as long as they keep listening to their medias and everything else, it's going to get worse. Yeah, so true. 20 away from the top there. Uh, 800-450-7876. Mark is joining us. He's in Baltimore. He's on line two. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, happy new year. Hey, David, how you doing, man? It's Mark three. Yes, sir. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, man. And to piggyback on, on what you were saying, uh, Carl here in Baltimore, um, <clears throat> we do, you know, black people have the, have the range. You know, they, they have the range of our, our city and stuff like that, man. And, and, and the thing was, you know, because black men unifying black men, they have a, a breakfast every Saturday. And I can remember being there, Carl, and, and, and the young man, you know, uh, 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 the brother Michael Johnson, an educator who's one of the founders of Black Men Unifying Black Men uh, with David Murphy and, and uh, uh, my man, Rennie, Rennie Bass, a uh, business owner, and uh, Bill Gooden, who, who you had on your show, and, and Dr. Andre Bunley, an educator, who from 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 black men unifying black men? There, he's one of the founders. Um, came came. Uh, Captain Pugh was was our mayor, and they talked her uh, talked to her about having the office of African American male engagement, which Dr. Bundy now uh, uh, um, heads. Which Carl, most of our young people that get killed in Baltimore is young black men. They had no uh, office to deal with that kind of stuff. So from there. Then, then came We Out Us, who, who, who is a big movement now, uh, We Out Us movement, dot org, Captain Andrew and Dr. Bunley, 
and folk like that. And we're working with our young people. Uh, anybody can go to that website, weoutusmovement.org. We got pastor leaders, um, black, white, Jewish, females, you know, um, that, that's working with these young people. And we got moms um, yesterday, once a year. Um, David, I don't know. I know you know Miss Daphne, uh, mothers of murdered sons and daughters. Her do- her son was murdered maybe fifteen years ago. Carl, and she started mothers of murdered sons and daughters here in Baltimore. And every year, they read the names. First week of January, they read the names of the murdered people from the year before. And this is what they said yesterday. You know, you see that pain every year. A lot of their cases have been solved. And they said, my loved one wasn't, wasn't, um, my, my loved one wasn't taken from my, um, didn't die. My loved one was murdered and taken from me. And the murders, you know, yes, they, they were down, but this is their take on it. They said, no, the murders are not down. We had 250 more families or 60 more families. And my family is one of them. Uh, one of the, the, the lists I read yesterday. Uh, my one, we had three nephews for three years straight. Um, and yesterday, um, my nephew, 26 years old, wasn't in the drugs and none of that made a wrong turn in West Baltimore. where we from East was murdered, caught on, on camera. So they looking for the guy. He has a son and all that kind of stuff. But here in Baltimore, um, we gonna, we gonna vote in different leadership and we're going to do the best because, um, Carl, one of the worst things that happened to us last year under black leadership, we had the BGE conduit. I'm a senior. A lot of people can't afford um, stuff like BGE and all that. We had our mayor because he's not a businessman because he don't talk to people like David Murphy and people like that. Um, the conduit. We have a conduit system here in Baltimore. 70% of the people voted to don't sell our conduit to BG&E, Baltimore Gas and Electric. So what they did to our young mayor is they dangled $100 million in front of them up front so, and said that they would maintain the system here in Baltimore. Well, guess what? When, when BG&E tear up the road, they can't even do the potholes uh, right, fix it back. A uh, city had to come behind them and do that. But now it's already been approved. We're going to get three years of raising our gas and electric bill, Carl, and guess how much the price tag is? $400 million. So they dangled $100 million in front of him. They get $400 million back. That's why I'm going to change leadership here in Baltimore. Y'all take care. All right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, David, your thoughts on that? Because, you know, he seems and I keep hearing this over and over from from uh, uh, callers from Baltimore. Uh, they're pointing the finger at the elected officials and, you know, people around the country listening and they say, well, why don't you guys just vote them out or don't don't, don't reelect them or get somebody who's going to represent represent you guys the way they should? It seems like everybody's got, you know, all the people that got elected just let down the citizens of, of Baltimore City. When you hear talk like what uh, uh, Mark just said, what goes through your mind as a publisher? Because you've been writing, you cover these stories, and you report about what's going on in the city. But as you mentioned earlier, nothing seems to change. What will make a change? Well, you know, my partner in the paper, as well as Black Men Unifying Black Men, Bill Gooden, states it like this. You know, um, people can do, they have done, right in your face. It's like my brother Mark just spoke about this gas and electric thing. 
and it affected everybody in Baltimore City. But when Bill Gooden goes downtown and confronts them, he can bear to get 10 or 15 people to go with him. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad scene. James Brown talking, we black and we proud. And we had all of these great organizations pumping it up. And we stand, you know, from in our college camps and everybody was on one accord. We're going to make some changes. But today we have been penetrated on every front. Every front. And, um, and, and they don't get this type of positive information that we would say unless, unless you, I, and, and everybody else out there, you know, we, they, they, you know, we have to go to them. They're not going to come to us. And uh, I belong to a lot of organizations, Black Men Unifying Black Men, the Maryland Council of Elders, the National Black Council of And we all saying the same thing. How do we reach our young people? So there's a disconnect. They don't fully understand the role that we have played so that they can do what they do today. And uh, but like I say, we're up against a force that 90 percent of the information they're getting, like I said before, it's coming from outside. And that's a powerful me. As you already know, media is a powerful force. It changes people's mindsets. And they, and they turn that mindset on on us. They take the same thing that we would listen to that was positive. Now they taking the music and turning it on them. You ain't this and you ain't that. You know, disrespect your woman and I'm going to get mine by any means necessary. And we had a different meaning by any means necessary. Right. And, and and the thing is, though, that never happened on our watch. Or if it did, it did. It never penetrated our minds because we were so we, we, I think. Correct me if, you, if I'm wrong on this one. I, I think we were more uh, united. Your thoughts. Yes, we were at the time because we had a lot of united forces at the time. But uh, unfortunately, with our young people, you know, this thing called lack of knowledge, people perish. It's not dying or anything like that. It's discipline, self-control. And, and, and see, we, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's the truth. Most of our households, we don't have discipline or control. Our community, we don't have discipline or control or our government. We don't. We, I'm talking about black melanated people. So there's chaos in our homes, chaos in our community, and, and we are actually physically dying, mentally, spiritually, and everything else. And that is by a concerted effort. And uh, and, and, and they use weapons of mass destruction. Not only do they use media, but they take our brightest, our sharpest, and turn them in on us. And uh, and that's a bad, that's a, a, a rough battle to fight. When you don't see yourself in a positive light, society don't see you in a positive light. You up against the whole world. Even your own people are turning on you. So that you know that, that they in a they in a bad space. You know right now. You know from the you know inside looking out. But there is hope, and um, and, and there is people like yourself. There is uh, organization like the National Black Unity News are shouting out. We recruiting young people. Over this last week, I went to several um, Kwanzaa celebrations. There was quite a few young people there. They was getting educate, educated. And, and, and now we are not waiting for them to come. We are now going to them. We are going to try to go to their meetings now. You know, you know like I said, I'm one of those type people, man. You know, if you ask me, I'll pour it out on you. But like I say, it, it, we have to, you know, make a concerted effort to reach to each other and educate. As long as we keep sending our children to them, as long as they keep listening to their 
medias and everything else, it's going to get worse. Yeah, so true. 20 away from the top there. Uh, 800-450-7876. Mark is joining us. He's in Baltimore. He's online too. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, happy new year. Hey, David, how you doing, man? It's Mark three. Yes, sir. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, man. And to piggyback on, on what you were saying, uh, Carl here in Baltimore, um, <clears throat> we do, you know, black people have the, have the reign. You know, they, they have the reigns about our city and stuff like that, man. And, and, and the thing was, you know, because black men unifying black men, they have a, a breakfast every Saturday. And I can remember being there, Carl, and, and, and the young man, you know, uh, 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 the brother Michael Johnson, an educator who's one of the founders of Black Men Unifying Black Men uh, with David Murphy and, and uh, uh, my man Rennie, Rennie Bass, uh, a business owner, and uh, Bill Gooden, who, who you had on your show, and, and Dr. Andre Bunley, an educator who from, from, from Black Men Unifying Black Men, he's one of the founders, um, came, came uh, Captain Pugh, was was our mayor, and they talked her uh, talked to her about having the Office of African American Male Engagement, which Dr. Bundy now uh, uh, um, heads. Which Carl, most of our young people that get killed in Baltimore is young black men. They had no uh, office to deal with that kind of stuff. So from there, then then came We Out Us, who 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 is a big movement now. Uh, we out us movement dot all Captain Andrew and Dr. Bunley and folk like that. And we're working with our young people. Uh, anybody can go to that website, we out us movement dot org. We got pastor leaders, um, black, white, Jewish, females, you know, um, that that's working with these young people. And we got moms, um, yesterday, once a year, um, David, I don't know. I know, you know, Miss Daphne, uh, mothers of murdered sons and daughters. Her, her son was murdered maybe 15 years ago, Carl, and she started Mothers of Murdered Sons and Daughters here in Baltimore. And every year, they read the names. First week of January, they read the names of the murdered people from the year before. And this is what they said yesterday. You know, you see that pain every year. A lot of their cases haven't been solved. And they said, my loved one wasn't, wasn't, um, my my loved one wasn't taken from my um didn't die. My loved one was murdered and taken from me. And the murders, you know, yes, they, they were down, but this is their take on it. They said, No, the murders are not down. We had two hundred and fifty more families or sixty more families. And my family is one of them. Uh one of the the, the list I read yesterday. Uh my one we had three nephews for three years straight. Um, and yesterday, um, my nephew, 26 years old, wasn't in the drugs and none of that, made a wrong turn in West Wallen, where we from East, was murdered, caught on, on camera. So they looking for the guy. He has a son and all that kind of stuff. But here in Baltimore, um, we're going we gonna to vote in different leadership, and we're going to do the best because, um, Carl, one of the worst things that happened to us last year under black leadership we had the BGE conduit. I'm a senior. A lot of people can't afford um, stuff like BGE and all that. We had our mayor, because he's not a businessman, because he don't talk to people like David Murphy and people like that, um, the conduit. We have a conduit system here in Baltimore. 70% of the people voted to don't sell our conduit 
to be G&E, Baltimore Gas and Electric. So what they did to our young mayor is they dangled $100 million in front of them, up front, so and said that they would maintain the system here in Baltimore. Well, guess what? When, when BGE tear up the road, they can't even do the potholes uh, right, fix it back. A city had to come behind them and do that. But now, it's already been approved. We're going to get three years of raising our gas and electric bill, Carl, and guess how much the price tag is? $400 million. So they dangled $100 million in front of him. They get $400 million back. That's why I'm going to change leadership here in Baltimore. Y'all take care. All right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, David, your thoughts on that? Because, you know, he seems and I keep hearing this over and over from from uh, uh, callers from Baltimore. Uh, they're pointing the finger at the elected officials and, you know, people around the country listening and they say, well, why don't you guys just vote them out or not, no, don't, don't reelect them or get somebody who's going to represent represent you guys the way they should? It seems like everybody's got, you know, all the people that got elected just let down the citizens of, of Baltimore City. When you hear talk like what uh, uh, Mark just said, what goes through your mind as a publisher? Because you've been writing, you cover these stories, and you report about what's going on in the city. But as you mentioned earlier, nothing seems to change. What will make a change? Well, you know, my partner in the paper, as well as Black Men Redefined Black Men, Bill Gooden, states it like this. You know, um, people can do, they have done, right in your face. It's like my brother Mark just spoke about this gas and electric thing. And it affected everybody in Baltimore City. But when Bill Gooden goes downtown and confronts them, he can barely get 10 or 15 people to go with him. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad scene. Now back to the Carl Nelson Show. Good morning, family. It's 10 minutes away from the top of the hour with the publisher of the National Black Unity News. His name is David Murphy, based in Baltimore, discussing the differences and the generational differences between the young people today and when we were growing up. Basically, we were all around the same age growing up in the 60s. And now it seems like they're... You know, for, for us, we, we thought we could change the world. There was something in us that, that, that maybe it was a different times. So we were facing different obstacles than the, the young people are facing today. But we talked about the music and some of the influences in that the impact how our young people view the world. So, David, I'll let you finish your thought. When you finish Howard in L.A., as a question for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, yeah, I was discussing about my uh, partner, Bill Gooden. Uh, when he goes to protest, uh, protest 
and he tried to rally the troops together. They have a saying before he can barely get 15 people to, uh, to do anything. But yet here we got hundreds of thousands of peoples in this city and, you, and, and everybody, and they're going into everybody's pockets. But yet people have been beaten down so bad, so docile-minded now, that they allow anything to happen to them, even the murders in the street now. You know, that's the problem. But let me give you some solutions, you know, because I'm more solution-oriented than, you know, because we all pretty much know what the problems are. Now, you, we mentioned back in the 60s and 70s, there was a key thing that happened then. You know, we had those who had influence, uh, was influencing, you know, uh, music industry. We had organizations back then that was willing to take a stand. And, and, and even today now, from where I sit, there is hope. Because we finally realizing today, all of these great and wonderful old black organizations we have out there, we now realize that we cannot do this by ourselves. Now, where I sit, even with the National Black Unity News, I got people from all over the world writing in one publication, financing one publication, supporting each other. So we, we have come together. And I think I mentioned two years before, I was invited to uh, this Asian organization and they wanted to do a black directory. And they told me, uh, and I asked them, why would you want to do a black directory? And he was telling us that once guy stood up and said that we Asians, we don't really get along with each other. He said the uh, Japanese don't get along with the Chinese, the Koreans don't get along with the uh, Vietnamese and so on. He said, but you people, that's what he said, you people, he said, are the most together people in the world. He said, we all have benefit from, off of your backs. He said, the only problem with black people is we just don't know. And the truth of the matter is we have so, <clears throat> we have so much power. See, Carl, you have dealt with people for generations. you met people all over the world doing great and wonderful things. So I know you see hope in your eyes, even though on the one side it looks terrible, but on the other side, you know, there's soldiers out there taking a stand. And, and again, what happened yesterday when you mentioned the 60s, 70s and everything else, that is a clue because we need to come together. We need to start connecting these dots and, uh, and, and sitting down with one another. There's a brother named um, Brother Cliff here in Baltimore. He has a program where he's like different organizations. That don't take away from what you stand for, why you do the thing, but all he's doing is connecting these organizations together. So when like a Bill Gooden go downtown to confront something, not only would he go down there, but he would have tens of thousands of us going with him. And see, that's the key to our thing is, is now each one of us, and, and they don't talk about why don't you do it, why don't they do it. It starts, again, always starts with you do it. You join the organization. You invite, if you belong to two or three organizations, you sit them down and say, this is how we can do something together. And just like me, the brother Martin, he has me, you have me, I have me. We, even that 1%, we can toot, toot our home because there's a host of us out there. But we all saying this, one saying that, and one saying this, and nobody is monolithic. We would never agree on the same thing. But one thing we can agree on, that we are being oppressed, we are being beat down, we are getting killed in the middle of the streets, in front of our eyes. And if we don't do something, our generation, I'm talking about the generation that I come from, because we saw the difference. We know the difference. We know what it took to. It took blood, sweat, and tears to get with We stand on great shoulders. Them shoulders are still standing today. Until we, me and you call, and everybody else who's listening to us, you start getting, up, getting us together. You start talking to your children, and that's where change takes place, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. 
See, everybody in the world knows that when black people awake, arise, the whole system is going to collapse. And we ain't trying to hurt nobody. I'm just saying, doing, just start doing for us. It's a simple thing. We did it before. Right. We protested, but we stopped systems before. We shut down cities before. Uh, let me say this, because we're coming on a break, David. Uh, we're doing okay as well. It's just a few, a minuscule few that got a lot of mouth and a lot of attention, and they bark louder than the, the, the people who are doing, our young people who are doing great things, but they do it quietly. And they don't get they don't get the coverage, the media coverage. We don't give them right. the media coverage that they deserve. So the, the other folks who are you know behaving inappropriately, they get the media coverage. But I think that they I think they're the ones who are behaving inappropriately in the minority. So, but hold that thought, because I think we got to take a quick break here. Kevin tells us we got to take a break. It's four minutes away from the top now. And Howard, when, when we come back, Howard has a question or a comment for you, family. You want to join us? 800-450-7876. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and the DMV run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Happy New Year. Our guest is the National Black Unity News publisher. His name is David Murphy. And on deck, we've got Attorney J. Wendell Gordon, the warrior attorney with us, the warrior lawyer. He's going to stand by. We're going to get to him momentarily. But as I mentioned before we left for the break, Howard from Los Angeles has a question or a comment for David. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, I have a comment and a question. My comment is that I, I turned 20 in 68. Uh, and basically training in the service. And I couldn't vote. And it bothered me. I could have been shipped off to Vietnam and gotten killed. I didn't have no say-so in who would send me over there. And uh, as I recall, one of the pastor's bills to go to Congress was giving the 18-year-olds right to vote because a lot of us guys was complaining about it. We go get killed. And we couldn't select having any say-so who sent us over there. When we, if we had that much to go get killed, it seemed like we should have... Uh, have enough sense enough to cast a ballot. And another thing I think happened, people realized that our fathers, I'm a baby boomer, our fathers came back from uh, Korea and um, World War II. That was the impetus in the civil rights movement as well. You remember, Megan Everett was a vet. He, he got killed right there in his, in his driveway. So I, I just want to know, is, is uh, the young people these days are they enthusiastic about voting as I was? Because I vote for dog catcher, you know. I take my time going to cast my vote. But you do find that they are uh, enthusiastic about voting as my generation was when we got the right. And uh, uh, how do you think they're shaping up politically? All right. Thanks, Howard. David? Yeah, well, this is, it's called a trickle-down effect. You know, in our generation... We were lifting each other up and see now media and, and educational system, our political system has um, failed all of us. And, um, and so now our young people, they, they, you know, like I say, because they don't see change, they still see the blights in our community and they wonder what happened to granddad, what happened to my father? Why are they in jail? Why are they living in poverty? And and, and, and they saying all of this. And, and and if I was in this, I'd be disheartened too. But again, it's up to us. It takes the village. And we have to restore their mindset. We have to restore our own mindset. And we have to start learning to come together. Each one of us has so much power. Use so the power true. that you have. Like you say, you 
went to the war and couldn't do this and do that. Well, reach out to your circle. The call, reach out to his circle. David Murphy, reach out to his circle. That's when change starts taking place. When we start communicating with one another, supporting one another, talking to one another. Because all of us are affected by the same system. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, David, before we let you go, how can folks uh, either pick up a copy or read your, your, your publication online? Yes. Uh, first, you can call me personally. It's at David Murphy, 443-455-2373. And you can also go to TNBUN.com, stands for the National Black Community News.com. TNBUN.com. You can see our current issue. You can see all of our issues in the archives. But, you know, it takes a village. We need each other. And, and the National Black Unity Mute is for us and is by us. And, uh, and we ain't going to change that system. We need every man, woman, and child on board because this is about us. Not about them. It's about us. We. Thank you. All right. And by Thanks, the way, David. Carl, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And Happy New Year to you, brother. Man, I, I, I'm so well pleased with you for the work that you, have, you, you are doing and you have done. You are a true soldier, brother. And I thank you for allowing a, a person like David Murphy to come on to your format. This is what it's all about, sir. Us helping us. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, and thanks for the kind words. Seven after the top of the hour. Good morning, Attorney Wendell Gordon. J. Wendell Gordon, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, brother. Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, to your listening hey, audience. Yeah, uh, and uh, Attorney J. Wendell Gordon is known as the warrior lawyer in Baltimore. And it's an issue uh, that Attorney uh, Gordon wants to talk about. And this is the attack, increased attack, I should say, on black student athletes. And maybe just not black students, period. All this come through the Title IX provision. Can you explain what's going on here, Counselor? Yes. Uh, so one of the issues I wanted to talk about is Title IX. Title IX basically is the college's. Um, uh, statute under federal law that enables them to stamp out or or get rid of discrimination, harassment, sex, sexual harassment, and things of that nature. But it's been overused and misused lately. I'm seeing a spike in Title IX claims from across the country, usually targeting athletes. They, the athletes usually find themselves caught up in the in the talents of Title IX. And black athletes, I'm referring to specifically, but it applies to everybody, including students. And uh, what I wanted to talk to young people about, or even older people who have young people in college, is to be aware of this Title IX process. It is a very uh, asymmetric process. And what I mean by that is very one-sided. It is skewered or slanted towards uh, the victim and the person who's actually accused of such things as sexual assault, sexual harassment, or any type of harassment usually has a minimal say, and uh, they're afforded minimal credibility in terms of these types of settings because you're, you're not in an actual court of law. You're in an administrative process, and you have a, a hearing person and maybe two other people who listen to your case who are hand-selected from the university. Normally, they consist of some, some faculty or administration of the university, uh, one designated person who's in charge of Title IX, and then a student. And you really don't get uh, fair outcomes in these processes, and especially if you're an African-American who seems to be the ones that I'm finding frequently 
uh, get accused of such things as rape, uh, sexual assault, uh, the spike in sexual assault since the P. Diddy thing and, and all of the other individuals who've been the Bill Cosby thing and all the other individuals who've been put, sort of caught up in all that has taken form on college campuses. And sometimes, um, whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. People have been using Title IX as a way of avenging being a jilted lover, uh, having lover's remorse, that is, engaging in some type of sexual activity or sexual contact with somebody you regret after the fact, and things of that nature. And I'm not here to say that it's not applied improperly all the time across the board, but I am here to say that we are being charged, that is, our athletes, our students are being charged with Title IX violations for sexual offenses at an all-time high that I'm seeing. I'm a Maryland attorney, but because this is not necessarily practicing law in a particular state, anybody can represent a student in a Title IX matter. I'm getting cases from across the country. The most recent case I had was in uh, Boston, at Boston College, and then I had another one at, at Towson University, and they seem to be popping up everywhere. So I just want young people to be aware of when you're engaging in sexual activity on a college campus. I don't When you're on college campus, it seems that sexual activity is something that's just inevitable. It's going to take place. But when you are engaged in that type of activity and there's some alcohol involved, be very, very sure or not even engage in sexual activity where alcohol is involved at all. And I know that's asking a lot of a person 18 to 21 years old, but just be very, very sure that the consent to have to engage in sexual activity is there, that document it as best you can. If you have to, <laughs> I'm still telling you, if you got a video, save it, record it, ask the person to put their consent on a recording. I don't know what you have to do these days or what you would do as a young person, but there's all types of technology in the world. and There are all types of invasion of privacy concerns, but at the same time, I'd rather be charged with invading somebody's privacy than be charged with the sexual assault or rape of another individual. So um, I just wanted everyone to be aware, tell the young people to be aware of who they're engaging in sexual contact with uh, and make sure that there is actual consent and not necessarily implied consent, even though implied consent may be a defense, but look for actual consent. And that's, that's my word. Thanks. All right. Uh, 12 after the top of the hour. Let me ask you this, uh, attorney Gordon, do you think the student, student athletes now, do you think they're targeted on, on these campuses? Do you think some of these, uh, these other students go after the black athletes because they know they're going to, you know, once they finish school, they're going to sign that big contract. 
not necessarily that they're going to sign a big contract, but there's a certain level of popularity that goes with being a student athlete, especially on these predominantly white campuses. And then there's this this exploration thing. You see a lot of times white women want to explore a situation with a black male, uh, but then their friends find out about it. And then all of a sudden, what, what was initially consensual sex turns out to be turns out to be something that was anything but. And they run to administrators and they know that administrators are really going to coddle them. They really don't have to stand behind what they say. They don't even have to be a part of the process. I've seen and heard of cases where a woman made an allegation and then and never came and never went any further with it. And the person still was charged with violating title title nine without her even providing testimony to support the allegation that she made. And so, as I said, they, they conduct this investigation. They want statements from the accused and they badger these students. They're 18 to 21 years old. And you have some university official throwing this waiting around and badgering the students in the text messages, emails, phone calls constantly until they sit down and talk with these investigators and these investigators just like any other investigator that we've seen when it comes to African-Americans, they don't have their best interests at heart. They're not necessarily interested in uncovering the truth. They're looking for something that you could say that could corroborate something that the victim has said. And then they bring you up on these charges. You lose your scholarship. You lose your residency. Uh, sometimes you get suspended from the school. And that's before you even had a hearing to address any of this stuff. So those parents are spending thousands of dollars you know, fish fries, cleaning houses, cleaning floors, or just working their corporate job every day to send their kids to school. Their kid could be put out of school for an allegation that's unsupported by any corroborating evidence. In fact, the evidence can militate against the allegation, and they'll still remove all these things because the university doesn't want to get caught in a situation where they could be found liable for not taking prompt remedial action. So when the allegation goes out, you lose everything. You lose everything until they can figure out what's going on. And I got a, a story. For, I don't know if we have time. If we're coming up on a break or not, Kevin. At Fifteen after the top of the hour, which I, I shared with you yesterday. But when when we discussed this, or oh, was it probably the day before? Uh, mm -hmm. th this happened with and uh, when I was in L.A. And people will know of us who listened to us back in the day. Johnny Cochran was one of our regular guests. On, and this was before Johnny even blew up big. Well, he was he was on the way up then. And mm -hmm. the, the, there's a, the, one of our one of my coworkers. Her, her son. He used to be, you know, hang out at the studio all, all the time when he finished school. I come to do his homework but anyway he, he was a good football player and got a scholarship to San, San Diego uh, State I'll tell you what I'll tell you the story after we come back from the break 15 after the top of the hour folks this is an interesting story I'm going to share with you and attorney Wendell Gordon and the warrior lawyer as well and, and this is something that you should share with your children as well about what's going on in Title IX on these college campuses with our student athletes we'll be back in four minutes though with the story right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 W-O-L, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 22 minutes after the top of the hour with the Warrior Lawyer with us, a criminal defense attorney from Baltimore, attorney J. Wendell Gordon. And we're discussing uh, the increased attack on black student athletes through these Title IX provisions when they're claiming racism and sexism. It covers all of that. But uh, before we left, I was about to tell the story, of, you know, back in the day when we worked in L.A., Johnny Cochran was one of our regular guests on our, t our talk show. And the, there was the sister who worked with us, and she had her son, 
he had gotten a scholarship to San Diego State, a football scholarship, and got involved with, with a white girl down there, and, and then he broke up with her, you know, and she, she claimed rape, and they wanted to call him in administration, wanted to threaten to take away scholarship and kick him off campus. The, the coach even was giving him the side eye because it was, uh, you know, it was basically hearsay, but you know how it is in hearsay. They believe their side better than uh, the black side. So she came and she's all in tears, the one dancing. She you got to help me, got to help me. You got to uh, ask, ask Johnny Cochran, what can he do? What can we do? So I called Johnny, put her on the phone, and, and, and he gave her the number, called the son. Son spoke with John. Johnny said, "Okay, we'll do this," and he wrote a cease and desist letter. And, and we just with that, we, we you know from Johnny Cochran from, from the Cochran Law Firm, they backed off and and that, never heard from it again. And and the, the good part of the story is that he went on, got into the NFL when he finished uh, San Diego State, played for the L.A. Rams when they went to the, no, it was the St. Louis Rams. They were in St. Louis at the time, and they went to the Super Bowl. Ended up uh, his career playing for the Dolphins, but that that. That happens, and, and we talked about it on the air as well, because that happened quite a bit back then, that these black athletes were targeted by these young white girls, and it, and it seems like it hasn't, hasn't changed much, Counselor. So I'm, I'm just wondering, what can you say to parents there who have, who have uh, not necessarily just student athletes, but are on these campuses, and, and, and these other folks are throwing themselves at them? Yeah, uh, the parents really have to drill down on their children and let them know that, you know, you're going to be confronted in situation, with situations where there's going to be an opportunity to engage in some type of intercourse, sexual intercourse of some type of sexual contact. You must uh, really be uh, sure of the person that you're engaging with. Um, and, you know, hopefully you have that level of trust. But even if you're first meeting someone, and I'm not encouraging young people to just go out and beat people in one-night stands and whatnot, but it happens. They're 18 to 21 years old. We all used to be that age. We all see that type of situation as a come-up, but it really can end up being a, a put-down or a drawdown. Because in Title IX, and, and it's been around since 1972, uh, but um, now I'm seeing the spike in it like never before. And maybe because I'm, maybe I'm late to the party, I don't know. I'm just seeing this this spike in these types of cases. And the reason why they go this route is because they get a lot of coddling. They don't have to do much. They don't really have to participate in the project. The burden of proof is very low. It's, the burden of proof is more likely than not. Did this more likely than not happen rather than beyond reasonable doubt, which you see in criminal courts, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, can you prove this, you know, that this happened? Most of the times it, it doesn't even amount to uh, proved by preponderance of the evidence or that it was more likely than not than it occurred. But before you even get to that point, you've lost everything. And they are more aggressive about this today than, than I guess when, when the young lady's son went through it, when Johnny Cochran was, uh, just before Johnny Cochran came up, because he'd been around, he had been around a long time before he, he departed from his, his earthly vessel. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's just very important to note that the rules are, are skewed in favor of the accuser, that you really don't have much rights, that they force you to make a statement because if you don't participate. That gives them grounds to take, you know, certain privileges away from you any, anyway. And a lot of times you, you really don't want to be given statements or multiple statements because that's another thing. They come to you multiple times to get a statement from you. They go back, come back go back over what you went through the first time and then they want more information from you. And it's just a very uh, vulnerable situation to be in 
as an 18 to 21 year old, especially without any guidance, because a lot of times these young people get caught up because they don't tell their parents about it. So that's another thing. Encourage open communication between you and your and your young person if they're in college. Encourage open communication that if something goes down, I don't care how you might think you can handle it because you're becoming an adult, you're coming of age, and you can kind of deal with these types of problems. But these, what happens to you in college, if you get uh, a violation of Title IX in your school record, it's going to be there. And it could, you know, it could be accessible to your employer. It could you know, really make things difficult for you in the future. Should you ever become famous? We see these these types of things come up all the time. Yeah, he became famous and he's doing this and he's doing that that now, playing in the NFL, but you know he had a Title IX violation 10 years ago when he was in college, you know what I mean, for sexual assault. And, you know, anytime you carry a moniker of sexual assault, whether it's proved by preponderance of the evidence or beyond reasonable doubt, that thing, you can't get that off. It is just a very... It's a very nasty, nasty charge. It, it, it does place a scarlet letter on you. And even though you are not responsible or not guilty of it, there are no real processes for you to vindicate, you know, your situation after it's been determined that you committed these things, a Title IX violation. There's no real, you know, they have an appellate process, but the appellate process is based upon what they get from the very beginning. And Almost everything goes in a Title IX hearing. They accept hearsay information. So you can say what somebody else said, and all that's admissible. The rules of evidence are, are non-existent, and it's left to the chairman of the hearing to determine what's going to be relevant and what's not relevant. And so that, you know, the chairman is not an attorney. The only attorney that's in the room is probably me. <laughs> I mean, in the hearings that I've been in, the only attorneys in the room is me, and at one point in time, there was an attorney representing the accuser. But a lot of times, everybody who's listening, conducting, and orchestrating this hearing, they are not attorneys. And they, you know, if somebody said, somebody said, you know, they, they can run with that. And that's, that is uh, sufficient evidence to find by preponderance of the evidence uh, that your loved one or your young person has committed these things. So basically, you just have an allegation unsupported by anything, just allegation that maybe is a good story. People can believe that find you in violation of Title IX and you're stuck with it for a long yeah, time. And, and, and back to that story with Johnny, uh, it, it, it took a while, it took like two days to get the letter, the cease and desist letter to the, the, the uh, athletic administrator's office because, you know, we didn't, have, uh, we didn't have email and stuff like that back then. But, mm-hmm. but Johnny told him not to speak, to, to say no comment, no comment. And they were using that no comment on him and said, well, if you're not saying anything, you must be guilty. And he, he was shocked that, you know, his coach, like I told his coach, was looking with a side eye like, man, are you a rapist? Are you raping, r- raping white girls on campus now? And, he, you know, right. and he, he said no comment to the coach. And the coach said, you can tell me. But Johnny told him explicitly, don't trust anybody. No comment. So when, but after they got that letter, everything was quashed. Nobody said anything. So I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. But for, for people who are out there with their children on campuses, is that a correct thing? To, no comment until they get uh, legal uh, legal representation? Well, yeah. yeah, that's still that's still the way to go. But again, in these types of cases, they badger these young people so badly. I mean, daily, two, three times a day, they're sending emails, they're texting them, they're calling them, they're coming by their, their dorm rooms. I mean, they badger them because they know that once an attorney gets involved, the attorney's going to shut it down. Or once their parents get involved, the parents going to shut it down. 
they get on these students so hard that they don't even have a chance to really think. It's just a whole bunch of pressure that they put on these kids to make a comment. And most times they make a comment. And just it's just been good the last couple of cases that I've had that my kids really didn't engage in any of this con- conduct, but they did tell their side of the story. And their side of the story didn't leave any room for them to be involved in this kind of type of conduct. But you got this story and you got that story. And somebody has to make a decision based upon these two stories. Who's telling the truth? Who, well, not even the truth. The truth doesn't have anything to do with it. Who can prove, who can persuade them that more likely than not that this either did or did not happen? And they know that, you know, there's going to be some truth or not in, in, in either side of the story. And they have to make that decision. But I always tell young people, do not put yourself in a position to be judged by anyone. People, you know, they sometimes they love to judge us and love to judge us negatively. Make sure that the young person who you're dealing with, who you're engaging in sexual activity with, sexual contact with, make sure that it's somebody you trust. And I'm really going to get people to get back to these uh, relationships, these monogamous relationships, because you don't really want that type of, uh, of shroud or cloud over you. But again, we talk about young people, and I'm probably contradicting myself. Young people are going to have sex. They're going to engage in sexual activity. So when you do that, not even if you do, when you do, please make sure that the level of trust is there. Please make sure that the woman you're engaging in sexual activity isn't high, so high that she cannot make any decisions about herself or her body or isn't drunk, so drunk that she cannot make any decisions. If she's falling now, that she can't walk. You really don't want to. They got video cameras all over campus. And that's really the video cameras have been saving my clients because these women were saying, oh, I was so intoxicated. I couldn't walk. Meanwhile, you see them walking, you know, with a steady gait. There's nothing compromised about their walk. In fact, there'll be an obstruction in, in, in their, uh, in their, in their, uh, in their view or in their path, and they'll navigate themselves around it. You know, things that you couldn't do if your coordination was off, if your agility was off, things you wouldn't be able to do. So the videotapes have really helped us because they got videotapes of you going, coming. They have, they have uh, technology that, that can tell you when you enter a room, when you exit a room. So the technology is there. And that's, again, what's been saving my young people. But at the same time, you don't want to put yourself in a position to be judged by anyone. And it is very dangerous. And in one particular case, this young girl asked a friend of my client's friend he, she, 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 for the football roster. She went down the football roster and looked for a name. She found my client's name and targeted him, asked, her, asked their mutual friend to introduce her to him. She finally met him. And a lot of times what I'm finding is that these young people who engage in these types of women, they really like this, the women. Like, they wanted to date the woman long term, and the woman steady hollering rape. And he's like, you know, they, they're confused about the whole thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't rape. I really liked her. I really, you know, even though we had sex, I wanted to continue this relationship. She was a nice person. She was cool so on and so forth. And uh, they get really confused about how these things came to be. Um, but, you know, it's causing a lot of problems. And the problems can be far-reaching if you're not represented. If you feel like your, your young person has, uh, is, is in the midst of getting a Title IX violation, which is being charged with a Title IX violation, please seek counsel. Please seek counsel because, again, the burden of proof is so low. 
that you really need someone to help you navigate through the process. And the process is so uh, skewered that you really need a skilled expert to help you, you know, get through some of the obstacles and hurdles that could sometimes stand in the way of justice. And that's what we're talking about, justice. Because no one, uh, any any more than anybody wants someone to be raped on the college campus, no one wants to be falsely accused of rape either. And I, I think that the way Title IX is set up, you could be falsely accused far more quickly than someone who's actually committed that that crime. And, and that's what I'm seeing in these spikes of cases. Yeah, and, and the thing is that that, that that accusation sticks with you even uh, sometimes beyond the college days. But I got a tweet for you, and I also Eric wants, uh, in uh, Forestville wants to speak with you. Uh, Kevin, do we have time to take a call or we got to take a break? All right, we'll take the break and we come back. Eric in Forestville wants to speak to attorney Jay Wendell Gordon, the warrior lawyer. You too can do the same. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll talk your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. 19 minutes away from the top of the air with our guest, the warrior lawyer from Baltimore. His name is Jay Wendell Gordon, and we're discussing Title IX and, you know, the attack on black student-athletes on Title IX. Before I go back to you, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with clinical psychologist uh, Dr. Jerome Fox, and later this week, the Minister of Wellness will be here, Nathaniel Jordan, also Attorney Dwight Petty, who's a constitutional lawyer, will join us, and a panel fighting to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, will also be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB and also if you're in the DMV area we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL as I mentioned before we left our last break Eric was waiting for us on line one he's calling from Forestville in Maryland Eric good morning you're on with attorney Wendell Gordon uh, good morning Mr. Nelson and good morning Mr. Gordon uh, happy morning. To Lady Kwanzaa and uh, happy new year uh, it's more of a public service announcement do you tell your clients uh, sir, um, uh, to spread the word around, leave Becky, leave the snow bunny alone. I know yeah. I told, I know I told my two grandsons who both ended, went into two white, uh, higher education learning institutions. One is now in the NFL, but I told him, uh, leave Becky alone. Uh, you there to get an education, you there to, uh, uh to, uh, play football. And that's what he did. And thank God uh, the NFL uh, grandson is doing quite well. And uh, by the way, he went into the uh, Marine Corps. But that was my question. Do you tell your clients to spread the word, public service announcement, to leave them Becky's alone? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
That's exactly why I'm on this on the radio airways today. You know, <laughs> I wasn't as blunt about it because I think I probably have a higher responsibility to the community. But yes, uh, be careful about the people who you speak with because sometimes it's Becky's, but sometimes it's not. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just you know it's just the young ladies who who want to explore to see what it's like to be with with this uh with this virile you know strong man and then once they once it gets out that the activity occurred and then they go into this mode where they're trying to protect their honor uh or when it gets out that the that man didn't feel the same way about them that they felt about him they go into a, you know this self-protective mode and then you know these allegations tend to pop up or where there's some type of disapproval in the relationship, these allegations tend to pop up, and they are very unsavory allegations. And that's why I'm on these airways to tell young people and tell the parents to really, uh, really tell, get have great, I mean, serious conversations with their young people about who they're sleeping with. Because not only do you have to be concerned about babies, like we, that, that was our primary concerns: uh, venereal diseases in babies when we were young. Now it's venereal diseases, babies, and a sex assault allegation, and all of those things could have detrimental impacts on on a young person's life. All right, thanks, Eric. At sixteen away from the top, as I mentioned, I got a tweet for you. A tweet from Elaine, and Elaine says, "I'm going to need a copy of the show to share with my son. We have spoken to him until we are blue. He is so young and think we are old school, and that." Love is blind, but we overheard his first disagreement with this person, and he's outgunned. Now, I'm just reading it verbatim, Counselor. So your thoughts for Elaine? Yeah, I mean, you know, once once they dig in, you know what I mean? It, it, can, it, it can be a very, very uh, difficult situation to charge to overcome. Because at some point in time, you, you obviously have to admit that these things occurred, but your argument is that it's consensual. Her argument is that it was not. And so you really have to get into the details. You got to start investigating text messages, phone calls, pulling video to really find out what really happened or what could have possibly happened. Because, again, the burden of proof to be found in violation of Title IX is very low. I mean, they could, They don't have to consider anything but except her testimony. I was telling you about a situation where a young person went for a hearing. The girl didn't even show up to support her allegation, and he was still uh, he was still uh, found in, to be in violation of Title IX. So it could be very nasty. It could be even wow. worse. So, 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 Counselor, what do they do? Do they pull his scholarship? Do they kick him off the team? How do they handle it? All the above. Wow. All the above. Because the university has to take prompt remedial action once a violation occurs. So they have to they have to do everything quite fast. And remember, I was telling you how they badger these young people to get statements from because they have to investigate very fast. It's got to be prompt. And they have to make sure that the student is safe. And then they say make sure that the athlete is safe. So they have to separate them sometimes from the university. Sometimes these kids are in the same dormitory or the same building, sometimes the same classes. And so the university, they're, they're just taking the approach that we're not going to, you know, We'd rather be safe than sorry, so their approach is very uh, severe when they're in the investigative state. Like, what's left after the investigative state? Find that he wasn't in violation, but he missed the whole semester of school. You don't get your money back. I want to tell the parents that, too. The money that you paid out for school, you don't get it back. You don't get a refund if they kick your kid out of school. That's just gone. Wow. 
Another tweet tweeter says, many of these young men go into these meetings without representatives because they don't realize how one-sided and serious this matter is against their future. It's another tweet to some. Yeah, and that is 1,000% correct, and that's why I'm on these airways this morning. Thank you, Carl Nelson, for allowing me the opportunity to discuss this issue. But yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, I got another tweet for you. The tweeters are coming in now. The tweeter says, "Yes, this is a problem with white girls, but please ask your guest about student athletes athletes who do engage in date rape, and many of universities have covered it up. This is at PWIs and HBCUs. Students were recently protesting about this at one of the HBCUs. Like I said, uh, the, the Title IX is not perfect, but it's one thing, and we don't want our young women or men." Uh, being raped on college campuses, being sexually assaulted on college campuses, nor do we want our young people falsely accused of things. So there has to be some balance there. And right now, the students who raise these claims because the burden of proof is so low, I mean, if, if there's a legitimate claim, it will it will more likely than not uh, get hashed out. But if, when there are illegitimate claims, you really have to work hard. I mean, and right now, this is what we're talking about. I mean, there'll be plenty of advocates talking about the other side, but nobody really talks about this side, the false accused, and whether there's any accountability uh, for the accused or whether or not she has to be held accountable for any of the destruction that she's caused. And the answer is no. So the other times in another show, we'll deal with the, 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 the legitimate rape claims. But on this show, at this point in time, my message to the, to the, to the listening audience is that you need to make sure that your young person is very aware of who they're engaging in sexual activity with and, and who they're engaging in sexual contact with. Because if you get in a situation where you're charged with a Title IX violation, uh, it's not going to be as fair as you receive in court. I'm not even saying court is 1,000% fair, but I'm saying in Title IX violation, I mean, it's, it can be sometimes a kangaroo court. I mean, it could be that ridiculous. And you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're feeling like you're in, you know, in in, in, in Wonderland, in Alice in Wonderland or something like that. Because you just don't understand how these people can really take themselves seriously conducting business the way that they do. And being so, you know, openly one-sided about how they do things. And, and as if that's a legitimate way of doing things. Right yeah, now. I don't want to ask you this too, uh, attorney. Uh, if if you if it gets to that that point and you found that th- there are inconsistencies or you, f- you figure out the person lied on the, your your client, the student athlete, is there any recourse? Can they countersue? Can they, you know, what do they have to do? Just they just run and they just you know go on their merry way? Yeah, you take it on the chin. There's nothing. There is no recourse because they they don't want you to be able to sue somebody for going through the proper channels to address what may or may not be a sexual assault. So they're not going to penalize someone for making the allegation. They rather make the allegation that it proves to be false than to not make the allegation at all. So no, there's no recourse for that. You can't even sue them in defamation for the most part unless they're telling somebody outside of the investigation because as long as it's a part of the investigation, uh, they're immune from any type of Wow. I hope our young people are, are listening to what you're saying this morning. Uh, what the sister said of first Elaine, who with her, that she's going to send it to her to her child, uh, what happened. Because if, if there's no recourse, there's nothing for them to do. Uh, right. uh, an, and, another tweet for you, Counselor. says, Habari Guani, attorney, do these charges happen when sisters are involved? Yes, they do. Uh, I had one where, where a young lady was a sister. She was involved and uh, 
again, we were able to get through that one too. You know, nothing happened, but they they come strong. Like they're not they're not backing down. And you could tell that they're lying. The stuff that they're saying it just doesn't make it doesn't even make sense. Some of the things that they say. And then you look at a video. They say they look at the video and say, "Yeah, even though it looks like I'm walking straight, I really had to concentrate on my walking to make sure that I appear to be walking straight." Well, if you can concentrate on how you're walking, <laughs> then you're not that intoxicated where you can't control, you know, what another person does or does not do to you. You cannot. You can't. You're not in a position where you can not help yourself. You know, you can you can push them off you, kick. But they say, you know, in order to uh, resist it, you don't have to do anything. You know, sometimes they say if your resistance is overborne, you don't have to yell out help. You don't have to kick, scratch, or anything. You know, obviously we look for those types of facts, but they're not required <laughs> in order to be in violation of Title IX. By the evidence. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this though, because uh, the client that Johnny Cochran had, you know, he, he he was, I guess, hours away from being, you know, suspended from the team until he he gave his side of the story. With, with your clients, have they reached that stage? Did any of them reach a stage where they're kicked out out of school or yes, suspended? All of them. The school. All of them. Yeah, the school really doesn't play with that stuff. They don't play until they resolve the issue. You're, you're not really welcome back into your dormitory or your campus. You might be able to go to school, but you got to leave. You're not your dormitory privileges. All that stuff is out. That's to say, even if you paid for it, it's out. And sometimes they can kick you off campus altogether. I've had one that got kicked off campus altogether. So what happens when 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 you find out that they're these they're innocent? What's you know? And they're, are they just reinstating? They say, well, oh, sorry, we, oh, oh, my bad, we, we're sorry, we didn't believe you, but now, okay, we got it. Is, is, is that how it's resolved? The polite thing would be to say, I'm sorry, but you don't even get that. <laughs> you don't even get that. You, you can return to school now. Yeah, and, and, and mom and daddy's got a, an, an attorney bill to pay <laughs> behind that. Yeah, after it, they paid, how much they paid to hire an attorney. Which can right. range from somewhere between five thousand and eighty five hundred dollars, depending on the level of, of of complexity that's involved in the case. Wow. This is amazing. I'm glad you brought this up. We we're coming up on a break real soon, but I gotta ask you about because you represented the uh, so called squeezy kid. And yes. and I'm, is that in the appeal process? Where is that right now? It's currently in the appellate process and uh I imagine they probably have a briefing schedule by now. I feel real good about uh, the appeal of that, that case, and uh, I don't want to say too much about it. And I'm hoping that the courts kind of remain consistent with their prior uh, decisions on issues similar to with that squeezy child, with the, with the child involved in, in, in the window washing case with uh, Facebook. You know, so I, you know, I'm really hopeful for the outcome to be favorable to our young person. I do keep in touch with him and uh, and he's okay, you know. For now I mean as okay as he can be in the current situation that he's in. He's got a lot of faith, he's got a lot of hope and he does have plans for the future when he returns and they're good plans. So I, I appreciate the fact that we are able to keep in contact with one another. And uh, he actually calls me, you know what I mean? And so I appreciate that. How old is he now? He is 
He's 17 and, and incarcerated. Yeah, he's being held at a detention center. They're going to hold him there until he's 18 and then transfer him over. Wow. And, and, and how soon will we know about the appeal? I, I'm sure it's going to make the news. I, that's all I know. That's, it's yeah. not going to be a secret. All right. As soon as that opinion comes out, it's just going to get, no matter what the decision is, it's going to get bad. All right, we'll be watching for that. And I, and I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, the warrior lawyer, that's what they call him, is a criminal defense attorney, J. Wendell Gordon. Uh, uh, folks, if they want to talk to you, if they've got an issue, especially what we talked about this morning, how do they reach you? People, yeah. yeah. I beg your pardon? You said, does anybody want to talk to me? Yeah, how, how can they reach you? Are you on social oh, media? If they... Oh, for sure. Um... Um, I'll tell you what, hold that thought right there. We uh, hear the Instagram, music. We're running late. Lawyer, lawyer, Instagram, Facebook, J. Wendell Gordon. You can Google me. If you can't remember my name, remember Warrior Lawyer, the Warrior Lawyer. It is me. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, any, all, all your social media. All right. Thanks, Attorney J. And Wendell you can Gordon. Call me, 410 332 Thanks. All right, if you didn't get that number, call us and we'll get you that number for you. We're running late. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. Good morning, family, and happy Tuesday to you. Our next guest is the clinical psychologist, Dr. Jerome e. Fox from Temple University. You know him best for his best-selling workbook. The, be- the book is titled Addicted to White, the Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, and the part I like, a shame-based alliance. And Dr. Fox, happy new year. Welcome back to the program. Same to you, and thank you very much for having me. Dr. Fox, we just had a, finished a conversation with, with attorney J. Wendell Gordon about Title IX, this increased attack on black student-athletes, usually about, not all the times, but white, white women on campus. We've seen the attack on, on one of our prominent uh, uh, religious leaders. We've seen the attack on some of our entertainers as well, and it seems relentless. It seems like black men are under attack. It, do you see that, or, or is it? And so the people who are saying this, they're not concerned whether they're guilt or innocent. They're just saying that it seems like it's 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 orchestrated that they're after the black male. Is that something that you see? Do you see look through the same lens and come with that conclusion? Well, um, I have a problem with a lot of this talk about um, you know attacks and um, tyranny and um, even as it relates to the nation and falling into. Um, you know, fascism or whatever, I ask people, when has the black community as a whole not been under attack? Um, Tell me the time frame. When have black men and black women really not been under attack? Um, And it kind of leads me to something that I was uh, thinking about just the other day. Uh, We refuse, I'll I'll make a global statement, Um, I think we refuse to um, accept uh, the the horror 
and seriousness of our circumstances under white rule. And so we can kind of fall in line with white folk who are just all of a sudden now feeling threatened by uh, the prospect of fascism taking over uh, their lives. But I ask them, or I tell them, um, this is nothing new for black people. We have been under the tyranny and threat of lynching um, forever. So to me, I think we have to honestly, and maybe we think this way because we don't have a proper historical perspective, but um, we've been under attack forever. The problem is what have we been able to do about it? Um, some of these situations, you know, with um, um, uh, black men and, and white women, um, et cetera, you know, we share, we have some agency in these attacks, um, um, and even when they are uh, completely unprovoked or, or, or false, we still have some agency in how we fight that. So my thing is, and this is what I was thinking about the other day, we, a lot of our complaints, either, you know, just directly or indirectly, uh, land in the sphere of begging white people, uh, um, uh, uh, white oppressors, to do the right thing. And we, uh, we many of our so-called leaders have built an entire career uh, partially financed by whites um, um, of begging them to do the right thing. Um, we can protect ourselves by a building our um, spiritual and mental um, um, defenses, building up those defenses whereby it's not as easy to entrap black people um, um, without it not being completely obvious that, you know, this was, com this was unprovoked, uh, um, you know, just out there. Um, so uh, to me, my focus is always on, you know, what can we do to prevent it or to not fall into their pits? Um, and that's where our strength and that's where our mind needs to be. Um, and yet we seem compelled or just determined to sit around and beg and complain because a lot of the complaining has the um, um, sort of unspoken request um, to white people, to white oppressors, uh, more specifically, to do the right thing, to stop doing what they're doing. Um, they have never not done what they are doing today, with respect to us, at least. Um, so the only question remains is how do you build up your defenses um, against their attacks? And then the question is, so what do we do? Because yeah, you, you're right, we've been on the attacks since we've been on these shores. So mm -hmm. how, do, how do we respond to the, these attacks? Because they're going to continue. Well, I wrote a whole um, workbook about what we do about it, because a lot of uh, the, um, a major factor in us being apparently so defenseless is our um, um, collaboration with with this society, with this, with their, with our white oppressors' worldview, and um, um, and people. It, it takes 
um, uh, I believe this is the last day of of Kwanzaa, which is uh, Imani faith. It may take a a leap of faith to um, just understand or believe that if we had our head together, we would know exactly what to do. As a matter of fact, we would be free if we had a a more collective sense of who we are as a people and more of a collective impulse um, to band together to protect ourselves, we wouldn't be under these uh, circumstances. We are as vulnerable as we are is because we have been divided. Uh, um, And that's a part of the white worldview uh, that uh, um, individualism, as one of my white values uh, indicates, above collectivism. Um, we would just we would not be constantly asking the question what would we do because it would be very clear uh, many of the things that we uh, could do require unity require a a punch not just a single finger a divided separate finger uh, it, it it requires in other words our the force of our un of of, of our our unified action. Not individual, not you know, so-called leaders running around, you know, marching or saying "come here, come there." We would know exactly what to do as a unit. Um, but right now, if you, if we we're really going to be honest, um, too many of our of our folk don't even think of us as a we. So that's really the first step. It all begins with the mind. And as I said, we tend to um, downplay the importance of having a right mindset in order to fight this battle. But there is no other way but to get your head in the game or in the war. And our head is not in the war. Um, Our head is is in, in hoping that our attackers will someday and all over this land, uh, come to the um, uh, decision not to stop their uh, wickedness. And that's just not going to happen. So we spend hours and days and years and centuries in their presence, not fighting them, but begging them. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wow. Uh, Ten after the top of the hour. So, Dr. Fox, why is it so difficult for us to unite? What What is the problem? I mean, we don't well, need their just, re- request. interrupt right there. It yeah. just goes to show the power it's almost like proves to my point that I make with the workbook and in terms of us being addicted. It goes it, just to show the power of mind conditioning. I mean, they have had literally centuries to condition our mind, um, to recruit us, to uphold and sustain their system. 
And after years and years of that kind of pummeling um, and stripping away any knowledge with their, which they are continuing uh, to try to do, uh, stripping away any knowledge of who we are, where we came from, and what our principles um, uh, um, have been and perhaps should be, even though if they hadn't been in our homeland, they should be here. Uh, after stripping away any opportunity to uh, think on for ourselves, and, 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 you know, critical thinking is something that is developed. They didn't even want us to be educated, and they still don't. Isn't that ironic that we're dealing with that today? So after years of, of, of this kind of oppression, I think um, uh, I'm trying to find it now. James Baldwin uh, made a statement about them making their false um, uh, claims about black people being um, so-called inferior, um, a reality, a physical reality in terms of the kinds of, of everything that we see about us, uh, uh, around us, our schools, our houses, um, I can't find it at the moment, um, it, they took great pains to construct our environment that reinf an environment around us that reinforces the idea that we are inferior, and um, I guess feeling defenseless while they were doing all this construction, uh, we allowed it to happen, and um, now we are suffering the consequences of that. But it goes to prove the power of mind conditioning. That's why I'm saying if if they if they've gotten this way, if they've been uh, put in this position of authority over us through our own cooperation, through conditioning our minds to cooperate with that. Just think about the power of that. Um, so we need to launch a counter-psychological um, 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 effort on our part to reclaim uh, our common sense, our brains, uh, so that we can use our brains to support ourselves as opposed to supporting them. So it just goes to show the power of concentrating on the mind and convincing the people that uh, they are inferior and constructing their environment to reinforce that idea. Um, just the power and all of that mind conditioning. So we have been lax in our effort to counterattack with in the same battlefield in the same arena which is the mind it's not these little um uh little or big or small uh legislative um acts because we can see uh, they can overturn uh as they did uh, roe uh, roe v wade um they could overturn affirmative action at will so we're not securely liberated just through legislation but we are securely liberated through our minds. And if we ever got to the point where this will end, 
um, and you, crackers, will stop what you're doing, or we will eliminate you and your society. And if we have to die... Actually, well, hold that thought right there. On that, that note, uh, uh, Dr. Foster, we're going to take a quick break. We're running late. 800-450-7876. You want to speak to Dr. Jerome Fox, reach out to us. We'll take a call in four minutes right here, 15 after the top there, in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Where information is power. And good morning, family. 22 minutes after the top there with our guest, the clinical psychologist, Dr. Jeremy Fox. You know him from his best-selling book, Addicted to White, The Oppressed in League with the Oppressor. A shame-based alliance. That's a part of the title of the book I like. And we're discussing unity. You know, unity in Moshe was one of the uh, principles of Kwanzaa, unity to strive for and to maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and the race. And before we left, Dr. Fox was telling us the, the issues, of, of how they've all these years they maintained. They, we, basically, we've been brainwashed not to unite. I'm going to read a tweet. I'm going to let you finish your thought, Dr. Fox. But I'm going to a tweet that just sent this in. Uh, Ted, he says, ask Dr. Fox, why don't we love ourselves? Why is there so much self-hatred among our people? Why are we so quick to judge your brother, but will go out of your way to support the others? Is this what you're telling us? Is this self-hate? Why we don't have unity? Because we're hating on each other, hating on ourselves, Dr. Fox? Well, yes, and that's value number one, white value number one in my uh, workbook. So I encourage that brother to, if he hasn't already done so, to get the book and read it. But, but that's just one of at least the five major white values that I cite. They all, all work in unison together to maintain our oppression. And when we subscribe to those values, we become complicit in our own oppression. Why do we do it? Because we've been shamed into believing that we cannot um, reinvent ourselves with our own ideas um, um, due to, and at least that's what our, our oppressors have been telling us, and unfortunately we have um, uh, um, subscribed to that uh, false uh, premise um, the quote I was looking for earlier, and well, before we left for the uh, commercial break, um, I was saying that um, we don't unify and uh, uh, we don't demand that uh, this system of of, of oppression um, be um, you know uh, changed, um, even and with the. Um, 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 caveat, I guess, that if it doesn't change, we are prepared to fight to the death. And, of course, I have a whole little section on fear. It's uh, uh, The only thing uh, um, holding us back at this point is fear, uh, fear of death. Uh, if, if we ever came to the point where it'd be like, okay, Death is better than living under this uh, um, oppression. And certainly we have no right to bring children into this nonsense. Um, and to, uh, we, we have rectified um, our situation, and we are willing to lay down our lives to do so. But once we come to that uh, conclusion truly, then we're, we're able to do whatever. Uh, um, um, 
in order to secure our liberation, but we're not at that point. And part of it, once again, is because we've been brainwashed not to feel that way, not to even feel that we have any kind of unifying um, purpose uh, um, among us. We've been trying to try to get away from each other, as the brother was saying, to hate each other, which is just a part of their program for us. We didn't create that for ourselves. As I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, James Baldwin said something uh, to this effect that force and weapons, this is on page seven of the workbook, force and weapons to translate their uh, dictum of black inferiority into fact so that the alleged inferior are actually made so. Uh, so they use force and weapons. We know all of the sordid history of our captivity um, to really uh, um, uh, create fear, um, terror in us to the point whereby we would submit and surrender our soul, basically, uh, to them. And that's what we have to get determined Hopefully we haven't lost Dr. Fox. It sounded like his uh, line dropped because uh, interesting. It's still on? And maybe maybe he uh, hit the pause button by mistake. Uh, 27 at the top there. He just joined us. Uh, I guess his clinical psychologist, Dr. Jeremy Fox, is uh, the author of the best-selling workbook. It's a workbook, and if you haven't got it yet, pick it up. It's called uh, Addicted to White, the Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, a Shame-Based Alliance. He says there are five core white values that many blacks are addicted to, and before he leaves, he'll, he'll break them down because sometimes uh, many of us, uh, at some point, we're addicted. All of us were addicted to white. <laughs> you know, uh, I just sort of recall a, a tweet we got some uh, uh, tweeted earlier to uh, attorney Wendell Gordon and she said we're blue if we've talked to him to we're blue black folks hardly can talk to you, you know, that's, a, that's one of the things you have to catch yourself in saying you can blue in the face probably I don't know how much melanin that person had when who sent that tweet but you know that's something that that's that's white addiction too you can start using their terminology they get blue you know because they don't have melanin but most of us have melanin who are listening to us right now hopefully so we're not going to get blue in the face well I don't want to, to beat up on the person who sent that tweet to attorney J. Wendell Gordon but we're here with Dr. Fox and this is uh, what he's talking about you know that the, the addiction it's so deep you really have to sit down and study why you know one of the issues we he talked about being a collective a global you talked about the unity so many times they tell us oh you're different from the brother in nairobi than the brother in east london or or the brother in, in this on the south side of chicago or southeast dc or, or sandtown you, you're you all got different issues we all got the same issues and that's and that's something that we have to recognize is once they keep telling us that we have different issues that's how they keep us keep us apart and and that's and that hopefully you've heard that from Dr. Wilson and also uh, from also from uh, Neely Fuller Jr. has been telling us as well. We, we got to stay on code. And this is something that you are implied in what Dr. Fox is teaching us. Uh, do we have Dr. Fox back yet? Oh, okay. Ho hopefully we get him back because he hopefully he's not still talking. And and there's understand that the, the call has dropped at 29 after the top they are. But it's, it's interesting conversation because you know we we always have these. It's 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 the people say it's, it's the 
the, the information of AIDS is for black folks. Why can't we get together? We're always asking this, you know, nearly full of gets it real deep because, you know, why can't we get, why is there no black unification? And there are some blacks who don't want to unify, and, and that's an issue. You know, they, they, they're, they're, they're part of the problem, too, but they don't see themselves as part of the, the problem. You know, they, they, they see that uh, they're doing, they can't do in Moss's work, keeping us to, uh, apart from each other. We've got, we, yeah, we got two black groups who are black separatists who think that the ADOS group and, and the fundamentalists, you know, they somehow they feel uh, their allegiance uh, to the red, white, and blue is, is, is runs much closer and deeper than the red, green, and black. So that's, that's an issue too. And people, you have people who believe them who are following them, uh, much to the chagrin of some, some people who you thought would know better, just, just don't know better. And, and they'll, you know, they'll quote Dr. Wilson and Neil fuller at the, at the same time espousing to be members of those two separatist groups so black people we got to come together regardless you've got to understand that and this is what dr fox is telling us you've got to think for yourself you, you've got to be critical thinkers i know it's difficult for some folks because we're so used to people you know we're just used to people just telling us things and we and we, we and, and, and we don't you know question and ask them we just okay i like that person so we told them so they recruit you either in, into believing into something or hating another person and the things that they're recruiting you to whether it be a, an issue or a person maybe the one that you should get with but we're so you know we so we think we trust them because we know them and we think they're on the right track and, and many a times they're not because if they're not talking about unity they're not on the right track they're trying to get you to to hate another group or a person or individual or or or, or a cause then that support supports black unification and they're they're on the wrong track. You know you know what to do with them. You just let them go. But we've 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 got to we've got to figure out a way how to how do we bridge that gap? How do we come together? We're not going to get everybody, and everybody's not going to be coming home coming over for Sunday dinner either. That's that's not the case. You know the other folks they understand that they have a code as Neely Fuller tells us that when they deal with us they stay on code. They know how to react. We don't. And, and this is why he's been pushing that we need our own code. This is what Dr. Fox is talking about. One one of the uh, five core white uh, principles that, that many of us are addicted to. And at some point, all of us were addicted to. It's just, you know, some of us woke up and we see and see what's going on and we figure it out. But the other, some so many folks, they haven't figured it out yet because they, one of the issues, and, and Dr. Fox mentioned this, because they take it personally. They, you know, they it, it's them. <laughs> you know, instead of looking at us as a unit, they're looking at us individually, and this is how this is how they get you. Because they, hey man, he's doing better than you. You shouldn't be like him. You know, you, you got to think about you. You got to get yours. I get mine. And, so, and this is part of some of the young people involved in that too. But they are not been exposed to Doctor uh, Doctor Fox. Uh, but hopefully, uh, many of them now have told me that they started to listen, and they've they've heard the the what Neely Fuller has been teaching, or what Doctor Fox has been teaching, and they're getting it. So hopefully, you know, more and more we get more and more of our young people to understand. And and some of our elders too, because we only need a critical mass, you know. Because everybody, not everybody, wants to be free, and they, we've got to understand that. So we, there, there's some, you know, and, and Dr. Fox mentioned that this this is sort of hereditary. The folks who don't want to be free were the folks who were back in their their ancestors didn't want to be free. Our ancestors, uh, the folks who listened to us consistently, they wanted to be free. You know, they were they were here plotting how how to go up against the oppressor, how, how to fight off the colonizer, not to agree with him, not not to under mine our, our, our own people and this is what this is the teachings that uh, as I mentioned nearly full Dr. Welsing when she was here she talked about
about it quite a, lot, a bit. And also this is what Dr. Fox is doing in his book. You get a copy of his workbook, Addicted to White, The Oppressed, In League with the Oppressor, Shame-Based Alliance. And you see all of this, what he's talking about. And you can go through and practice the steps. Because sometimes you don't realize it subconsciously you know, addicted to white, and you, and you don't know it, and you think everything's okay, you're wondering why, oh, you see somebody who's not addicted to white, and you think they're militant, or, or they think they're crazy, or, you, or, or they're, you know, or they're trying to cause trouble, and those are the ones who will snitch on you to Masa, those, you know, that, that, and, but they still don't understand that's what they're doing, they, they, they because they, they, they still see that as an outlet, they, st they still think they're the right, doing the right thing, that's what they do because they don't understand how the how this addiction works. It's subtle, and you, once you get caught up in it, you just caught up into it, and, and you don't understand that you're in that sunken place. But I tell you what, we're coming up on a break. We're soon. Kevin, do we have to take the break? Uh, yes, sir. Let's take. All right, we'll take the break, right and we come back, and we we'll see if we can get Doctor Fox back on the horn. Family, you want to join this conversation? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Take your phone calls in four minutes, right here at twenty six away from the top of the hour in Baltimore on ten ten WOLB in the DMV. We're on FM ninety five point nine and AM fourteen fifty WOL, where information. His power. Running family, 22 minutes away from the top there with our guest, Dr. Jeremy Fox, is a clinical psychologist. Before we go back to Dr. Fox, I just want to remind you, coming up in the next few days, you're going to hear from the Minister of Wellness, Nathaniel Jordan. Attorney Dwight Pettit is going to be here as a constitutional attorney and a criminal defense attorney. And also, uh, we're going to have a panel uh, fighting to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Fox, good morning. Welcome back. Yes, I'm sorry about that. There's an outage. It's been happening fairly frequently in my area uh, on the um, Xfinity's uh, Comcast uh, part. Um, my line is a landline, and so when they have an outage, it uh, um, shuts off my phone as well. So I had to get up a, a, a backup cell phone, which I'm on now. So I hope okay, this works. Okay, good. Yeah, it's working well. Uh, Dr. Fox, you were talking about unity. And, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you, you talked about we don't see ourselves, some of us don't see ourselves as, as part of being of a, a collective. We, we, we have this separatist views. You know, we've got two black separatist groups out there uh, trying to recruit people to join them. And then we have uh, folks who just feel like their issues, their issues if it's in the south side of Chicago, it's not even concerned with the entire city of Chicago. Uh, it's just with on the south side. Side, South LA, Southeast DC, Harlem. We just think that, that, that that's our world, and that 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 hindered us from from uh, from being unified. Can you address that for us? Well, yeah. I mean, isn't that a part of their plan? Uh, um, our lack of unity serves them uh, because if we were unified, we would be unified uh, um, against. Um, any enemy of of us as as a group, um, but when you, uh, uh, which is one of my white values that we subscribe to, once again, individualism over collectivism. When you emphasize to an oppressed group that you are just individuals, uh, that serves your oppressor's agenda, not your own, because the only way we're going to overcome our oppression is through uh, uh, being unified. So, I mean, uh, that's just a part of the centuries-old mind conditioning that has taken hold on our brains um, that prevents us from doing what we could do in order to secure 
our uh, our liberation. And when I think I um, when the outage occurred, I was uh, trying to make the point. I think I was reading um, a little bit from Baldwin, but trying to make the point that fear is the only thing that really prevents us from being free at this point. And uh, 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 fear has basically been the motivating uh, factor behind our behavior and this desire to just get for myself. So you find individual black people who think that they've made it and perhaps are comfortable um, and we've been convinced that that's all life is about, what happens to me and maybe my family. But um, certainly what's happening to you over there, wherever you are, are, is really none of my concern. And once again, that serves the agenda of white folk because they have built a whole society that is united against people of color, black folk. Um, so they have the unity, at least on when it comes to us and how we should be treated. Um, it, it's us that are not unified and convinced that uh, being unified um, would not serve us well. Of course, they've convinced us of that because, once again, it serves their purpose. They fear our unity. I remember even in being an um, um, – I went to Cornell for an undergraduate and my uh, physician at that time, his daughter, was also going to uh, Cornell. And I came home and I had to see him. And he had a question like, why, why do you blacks sit together? Well, number one, there's only uh, a few of us there in comparison to the uh, white student population. But I thought the question was very interesting. Why are you so concerned about us even just sitting together? Obviously, we have things in common. We come from the same uh, uh, culture. Why wouldn't we sit together? Why do you whites sit together? Uh, but he was expressing that without even realizing it, that uh, almost visceral fear, and I mentioned this in, in the workbook as well, that white people have of one day having to reckon for all of the damage and wickedness they have uh, done in, uh, in this land, and particularly to us. Um, as I say in the book, if the tables were returned, uh, were turned rather, uh, they would be a scheming night and day uh, how to get from, uh, from from under our rule. So they figure that when we gather together, um, that looks like unity that we're doing the same thing, not knowing that our minds have been so um, 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 brainwashed that us gathering together, uh, the last thing we would be talking about is how to get out from under uh, their oppression. So, but it's, you know. Well, let me jump in and ask you this, though, Dr. Fox, 15 away from the top. Is that the same issue that played out with Obama or anything that we get, they think it's, it's taken from them? Is some if yeah. we get something is, is that how white folks see see what's going yeah, it's on a here zero sum right it's a zero sum society in in their mind with regard to us once again um uh anything we get 
is 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 really taken from them. And in a sense, because we have been allowed ourselves to be so dependent upon them, uh, um, everything that we have is coming from them. So maybe in some sense uh, uh, that is true. Um, so yeah, they see uh, um, themselves basically in a zero-sum society. Our gain is their loss. Um, obviously, that is not true, but that's something for them to work out. In the meantime, we we have to be focused on our gain, quite frankly. So what do we do? What are some of the steps that we need to do uh, to achieve this unity? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, uh, obviously, uh, since it is uh, what's blocking our unity is a mental condition, uh, we have to address, as I said a hundred times, before, we have to address directly that mental condition. And this is what my workbook addresses. Um, how do we get a new brain? Not a new uh, law um, or a new promise from our oppressors, but how do we get a new brain? Um, we don't apparently see right now how getting a new brain is our best option um and and i guess the um um in the mix of of or in the matrix of oppression we only can see how getting a little material relief from our misery um uh, will benefit us we don't see how i guess in some people's minds philosophizing or uh talking um, about this particular issue uh, will um, get us everything that we desire. But nonetheless, that's the fact. If um, the sun shines, whether you believe in the sun or not, I mean, we have to reclaim our brain. And that's why I wrote this, this workbook. It's a process of helping us reclaim. It's a method for reclaiming our brain. And as I said, and at the beginning of this, it may take a leap of faith for us to believe that once we reclaim our brain, it'll be very clear of what we need to do in order to be permanently free from this nonsense. But until we do so, it will not be clear, and we will not do those things that would free us. So uh, the answer, the answer is this, uh, or something similar to this workbook. Start working on our minds that will, in a very specific way, as laid out in this workbook, that will free it up 
in order to be used in 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 a defense of ourselves. Uh, my question to you now, at, at twelve away from the top, so so what do we do with the folks who just encountered They they just they, they don't want to unify at all. They they want to you know they 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 want to work for the other side straight up. They'll tell you straight up they they don't believe in black unity, uh, and and they, and and you know in many cases they don't even see themselves as black. They call themselves another descriptive form, not quite white, but they're just not not black. How do we deal well, with those American folks? Do we just take, <laughs> right? You, mm-hmm. you got it. Mm-hmm. So we just ignore them or, or just uh, you know work around them. How do you what do we do? How do we deal with them? Well, I said this uh, uh, before. Um, um, I, I, we all kind of started out at the same um, um, starting line, uh, and, and and that being addicted to white. And uh, some of us have, have made obviously more progress in than others in detoxifying, uh, disentangling our brains from um, this w- wicked white worldview and value system that supports their worldview. Um, so first of all, it is to approach uh, each other with a measure of compassion, uh, knowing that um, it's not just, you know, you, you, you that are sick, but uh, we've all been there. And until we are able to gather a... Um, a critical mass to move forward, we have to be patient uh, with each other and trying to show um, how uh, things would be better if uh, um, if we could just detoxify from um, um, this white world view and pointing out all along what this what believing in America and the American dream has done for us which is basically uh, nothing. Uh, um, I had said in one, during one program that what you say to white addicted friends is you're doing the best you can, but you have the capacity to do better if you're motivated enough right now to try harder. I know you want us black people to overcome our difficulties, but each of us will have to do our part. We may not have caused all of our problems as a people, but we have to solve them anyway. Uh, We must learn new behaviors in all areas of our lives. All of our behaviors, actions, thoughts, emotions are caused by something or someone. Figuring out and changing the causes of our dysfunctional behavior, like addiction to white values, works better than judging and blaming each other. Uh, when stuck in your dialogue with a white addicted friend, just uh, default to empathy and validation. Um, um, you know, but don't overdo that. Uh, example, uh, your behavior makes sense given our history um, as an oppressed people. But, and then you go on, although I could never fully understand your, um, your unique, um, you know, challenges you can still, et cetera, et cetera, do better or do this, uh, read this book, and maybe we can talk it over um, to see where your disagreements are. Um, And that's how you recruit people to uh, to our side. Uh, But until we do that work of recruitment, things aren't going to change. And this whole workbook and me coming on your program 
as, a, as in the uh, vein or in the process of recruitment. Um, we have no other choice but to do so. any nation that's going to go to war, either a psychological war or physical war, has to recruit its soldiers. And um, we're still, unfortunately, in the process of trying to recruit enough people to get to that critical mass uh, where we can move as a unit, as a unified force. Um, and, you know, maybe we should be farther along uh, than that. But I, I think one of the reasons is, is why we're not farther along in this recruitment process is because uh, we've never re really taken the time to address the state of our mind directly, collectively. We'll, we'll march in Washington, um, but, you know, we won't sit down together to address our mind. Yeah, and hold that thought right there. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, though, I want you to explain to us why you decided to write this book. Was it something that happened to you personally, or were you just looking at what, on the landscape of, of black Americans or black globally and, and saw that we, we're coming up short, and many of us don't know why we're coming up short, why you wrote the book? I'll let you explain that when we get back. Six away from the top there. Our guest is Dr. Jerome Fox. You got a question about his book, you know, Addicted to White, The Oppressed in League with the Oppressor? Reach out to us. Take calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family, and Happy New Year. A minute after the top of the hour with Dr. Jerome Fox. He's a clinical psychologist at Temple University. Dr. Fox is the author of the best-selling workbook, Addicted to White, the Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, a shame-based alliance. Um, before we left, I was going to ask Dr. Bo uh, Dr. Fox why he wrote the book, but I'm going to put that on hold for a second, Dr. Fox, because some people want to talk to you. And I got this interesting tweet that I think, you, uh, I think this you know deserves some consideration for you to respond to. Anyway, the tweeter, uh, Gail, says, White men do not speak disparaging, generally don't speak disparaging about their women. You have not heard one white Republican or Democrat, for that matter, attack her ever but we rap curse and say awful things about black women why is that well you know whenever we speak um we need to make an effort to be as accurate as possible and i know we we don't know everything so and sometimes we have to surmise about certain things but but at least be clear when we're doing that um from my observation, um, uh, white um, men um, don't care anything about their women. Uh, we have the Roe, uh, the overturning of the Roe Ro versus um, um, uh, Wade uh, decision. They don't care anything about their children. We have their obsession with guns, even in the face of their children being killed in their schools. So. I don't see white men, men uh, um, having anything uh, uh, to recommend themselves about. Um, they don't care about their women, ultimately. They don't care about their children, ultimately. We see that being played out. Uh, um, now, why? 
why are we uh, inclined to do the same, perhaps even in more um, dramatic ways, um, you know, by calling our, our women, I mentioned this in the book as well, you know, the B word and, and whatever. Um, well, it, it's because, number one, we have been conditioned to copy white folks' behavior. So they do it. Um, and, and when, uh, I, I don't know if people have seen this trend. When we copy white folks' behavior, we tend to overdo it. We tend to just really prove, see, Marcia, how much in line I am with your thinking and your behavior. Look at how you know, I am copying you in the most um, dramatic and exaggerated way. So I don't um, – this is a part of living in this society that we have not uh, taken the time to challenge uh, its value system. Um, um, uh, this white society is – they have – white oppressors have constructed, as I say, a context of hate, um, not just for us, the despised so-called minority, but for themselves as well. Their whole system functions on hate, and the ultimate um, um, objective of, of hate, of a context of hate, is murder. So and in all of its ways, murder your mind, murder your spirit, murder your body. And they're not doing anything um, um, other than that, even with, with themselves and their own people. They're just united when it comes to us. Um, but in terms of how, how they treat their children, their women, there's really no difference. And living in a society, um, which is nothing more than a context of hate, uh, predicated or propped up on a value system that um, um, supports uh, the hate and the murder of its people, um, we're just acting in accord with that, that system um, that, that we've been trained to love so much. Uh, uh, if once again, if we could detoxify from this uh, white value system and white worldview, our, our behavior toward each other, uh, our children, our, our women, our men, our friends, our family would change radically because what you see is nothing more than a copying of what we see in our white oppressors, believe it or not. All right. Six after the top. As I mentioned, some folks want to talk to you. First up is Marvin. He's in Baltimore. He's on line one. Uh, good morning, Marvin. Happy New Year. Hey, first of all, happy New Year to all y'all. How y'all doing today? Fine. Thank you. Hello. Uh, yeah. Hey, what I, what I wanted to say is, what's, what's, what's the guy named this day, what you call it? I forgot what his name was. That's Dr. Fox. Uh, Mr. Dr. Fox, how you doing today? I'm fine. Uh, what I want to say, you know, in a minute, it don't relate to you. It relates to others, I believe, that was in the past before you. And, you know, I mean, we all in it together, but I just don't want to just sit here and put it on you. That's what I'm saying about what I'm about to say. I mean, our people, that, most of our famous people that write books, they write them and they tell black people that this here will straighten you out. And I can assure you, if you read it, you're going to be okay. These are guidance in life that we want you to follow. You know what I mean? We, we're really trying to help you. But at the same time, 
they also tell black people on the side that the easiest way to hide information from a black person is to put it in a book. I mean, something wrong with that. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it don't add up. If they want to write books to uh, educate people, why would they tell them the easiest way to hide it that they're going to put it in the book? Because they know they're not going to go after it. Why, why would they do that? Right. All right well, thanks, Marvin. Um, you, why why yeah. would they do something like that, though? All right. Thanks, Marvin. Go ahead, Dr. Fox. Um, he's quoting Malcolm X, believe it or not, who said that. Um, um, so uh, I think Malcolm, I can't really speak for him, but um, I interpreted that um, statement as a sort of a chastisement uh, um, to encourage black people to read, um, to read more. Uh, because there is valuable information in, in books, and um, and particularly books by folk, black folk, who have our best interests at, at heart. So, um, but I do understand the point to um, that if you just take the situation as it is today and perhaps has been for too long uh, with us not being as inclined to read a book as we should be because of all of the information and the weapons that we could uh, learn um, to use, um, uh, you know, hidden in books, so to speak, um, then why would you write a book? Well, number one, that is a... a, a um, um, a good way to spread a message, you know, put it in a book out there for anybody to read. So we we can't ignore any weapon uh, uh, when when you're on the battlefield. As I as I've said, you know, I get up thinking like a general, and I go to bed thinking about a general. You you don't want to uh, cede any land, any weapon to the enemy. Um, um, books are a weapon. Um, so we can't just say put that aside. Um, all we can do is try to, as, as uh, Brother Malcolm was doing, try to encourage us to pick up that weapon. Um, but in the meantime, because we have so many other sources of spreading the message today, um, you try to utilize those sources uh, strategically uh, um, as well, like coming on the radio to speak to people. Um, I'm writing a, um, a a TV script, which I know will never be picked up because it's too, in quotes, radical. But nonetheless, I'm still writing it. Um, trying to get your ideas out there in as many um, 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 media, media as you possibly can without um, harming yourself. It's like uh, this, this has always been my struggle here. Uh, you don't tell your enemy the um, caliber of the weapons that you have. Um, you surprise them uh, when you blast them with your weapon. So this process of getting our heads out of the white folks behind, um, you know, really needs to be done quietly so that we're not uh, interfered with. Uh, so this, this constant tension and the being between just how public do I go with this, um, um, 
and that I know myself I struggle with. But certainly coming on programs like this helps to get the message out. So you use all the weapons that you have available to you, including books, in order to help our people um, um, engage in proper defense against our enemies. All right, we got some more folks want to talk to you 11 after the top of the hour. Ray's in Hunt Valley in Maryland on line two. Good morning, Ray. You're on with Dr. Fox. Good morning, first. Um, happy New Year. And I hope all our listeners participate in some type of aggressive action where we, uh, which leads to our real emancipation. And I think Dr. Fox uh, is hitting it up the park. In reference to the tweet uh, about women, um, black black men treating black women so bad, white men established the rules in this nation. As late as 1975, we had to draft legislation so a woman could get a credit card in her name. As late as the 80s, we had to draft legislation. Mm-hmm. If a white man beat up his wife, the police would actually have to act on it. As late mm-hmm. as 90, we had to draft legislation where women could compete in sports at the same level um, and and uh, jobs at the same level, and they're still struggling for equal pay. Well, black men didn't create all those laws. And the strongest way to keep a people down, male, female, black or white, is through legislation. And history is an avalanche of evidence of white males keeping white women as property. Okay, mm-hmm. We simply are residual um, damage. Okay, let me move on. Dr. Fox, I, I do not, I cannot conceive of how we can have any real emancipation in a world of capitalism, which breeds uh, gross uh, inequities as far as income, materials, etc., uh, which breeds warfare. We're a nation that has been at war 225 out of 300 years, um, literally, okay, which breeds narcissism, which you mentioned, which breeds classism, right. where even blacks... Right, right. put in a question, we got to take a quick break here, and I'll let uh, Dr. Fox respond on the other side. Real quick, what, what's the question? Yeah, so uh, as I pose, how do we, in someone else's economic system, uh, how do we truly be free when we're in a system that actually subordinates us economically? All right, right, thanks, Ray. We'll take a quick break, quick break, and we come back and let Dr. Fox respond to that right here at 14 after the top. I'll be back in four minutes with Dr. Fox's response right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour, our guest, Dr. Jeremy Fox. Of course, many of you know him from his book, his best-selling. It's a workbook, by the way, Addicted to White, the Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, a shame-based alliance. In the book, Dr. Fox identifies five white 
uh, principles that he says many of us are addicted to. And before he leaves, I'm, I'm sure he's going to tell us about that 5R. But before we do that, though, before we left for the break, we're speaking with Ray calling from Maryland, and he talked about a capitalistic world. How can we free ourselves? So, Dr. Fox, I know you want to respond to what Ray said. Right. Um, first, let me underscore uh, something that I say in the book, that we are ideologically um, entangled with a white social order that is predicated on narcissism, me, 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 or my race above yours, greed, and unjustifiable violence. I think he's addressing the greed part, but they're all connected. I would say, in my estimation, capitalism is predatory. Uh, It has to have an underclass in order, a consuming underclass, consumer slash underclass, in order to to thrive. And yes, I do believe that it maintains um, economic inequities around the world, particularly with this so-called global uh, economy, which is nothing but global capitalism. Um, I personally believe in something that I um, call commonwealth. Um, Commonwealth uh, can um, coexist with a political system that is democratic. Uh, um, You let the greedy folk in uh, uh, America tell us that somehow uh, what they call socialism is incompatible with democracy. Of course, that's a lie. And we've been trained not to uh, question anything, any belief that they have. But, but in truth, we should be questioning every single statement coming from our enemy. And this is certainly one of them. Um, the capitalism, um, I believe, also is predatory and interferes uh, uh, with the economic uh, liberation of our people. We, we need to be thinking more in terms of our commonwealth, which is also linked to unity, um, as opposed to individualism, which capitalism, uh, uh, which is linked uh, to capitalism. Uh, so I have no um, disagreement with anything that he said. All right, let's take another call for you. Twenty-four after the top of the hour. Let's go to Tulsa. Oh, oh Kevin hung. Uh, Kevin's question. Let me read his question though, because he hung up. He says, "How do we detoxify from uh, these religions, Doctor Fox?" Well, here again, even behold um, our addiction to capitalism and individualism and self hatred. All of these things would be tackled in the group that I um, mentioned in um, in the book, this into blessedness that we form in order to talk about life in general, our life, our, our entire life, every single idea that we, we that has been put in our head. Um, and that's how you tackle that. We have to sit with each other and discuss these ideas in order to see more clearly what um, um, suits our liberation and what doesn't. And I think once we do that in a guided way, in the a way that I um, prescribe in the book, I have the faith, once again, this being the last day of Kwanzaa, I have the faith um, to believe that we will all arrive at the same conclusion. 
um, of what's working for us, what could work for us, and what has not worked for us, and what will never work for us. But it's very difficult, uh, just as, as you know, um, individuals uh, to uh, come to any kind of of, of um, consensus on, on what 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 values and what perspective uh, we need to adopt in order to drive successfully our um, um, efforts uh, to be permanently liberated uh, from this, from white oppression. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, I think Kevin, Kevin, is he back online in Tulsa? Yes. Oh, Kevin, did I uh, ask your question correctly for you? Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't get the question. I didn't ask it. Can I? Sure, go ahead. I'll let you do, do okay. the question. Okay. My question is that what do we do with his thoughts about religion? Uh, this religion, in my opinion, have us all so messed up that we reference uh, symbols that doesn't look like us. We mm -hmm. We look at things and we accept things that are way false. And if you allow yourself to just use common sense, you can see contradictories and so forth in the Bible. And I'm not mm -hmm. talking against it, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And also, God did not write the Bible. I want you to respond to that. God didn't write the Bible. The Bible was written by men. And just like men can write falsehoods in any book, they can do the same in the Bible. So I just kind of mm -hmm. want to uh, get your opinion on that. Uh, hang can up I ask you, be, before you leave, can I ask you a question? Uh -huh. Is he still there? Are you still there? I am. Yeah. Okay. Have you read my workbook? I've got your book. Uh-huh. Have, have you read it? Have you read it? Yeah. I've read okay. it, and I'm going to reread it. Well, please do uh -huh. because I've addressed all of that in this uh, uh, workbook. I would agree with you that uh, um, uh, religion has been uh, weaponized uh, against us, and um, that's unfortunate. And here again, and I'm sorry I, I didn't address that uh, specifically in my previous answer because Carl did mention that. But it's a part of the of what we um, uh, might come to some, you know, common um, um, ground on if we engaged in these kinds of important 
uh, uh, conversations that I recommend or prescribe in the book in this Into Blessedness group that you or, uh, would be conducting. Um, I do say in the book, and this is why I asked you, um, um, did you read it, that we would have to avoid, however, um, um, debates about religion because it's so... Um, uh, um, uh, it, it's just so uh, tightly uh, held beliefs on uh, on on religion that we would would only wind up dissolving whatever tentative unity that uh, um, be in in a group such as the into blessedness would represent. Um, uh, I think we would automatically, to some degree, come to a conclusion about uh, the role of religion in our, our quest for um, 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 liberation. Most re uh, religions can be um, analyzed, if we were going to, to do that, on at least three levels, uh, 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 one being a sort of moral level, another on, on a, a, a historical level, um, um, and I'm forgetting the other level, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the historical being did uh, these uh, things in your religion, no matter what religion it is, actually occur. Um, 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 right, and I guess the third level being spiritual in that, um, you know, what is the way to heaven if your religion believes even in a heaven? Um, and, and then that that middle level being the moral level. Now, the historical level and the spiritual uh, level relating to heaven or no heaven, uh, um, there probably will not be any agreement on, you know, whether there was a Christ or Muhammad or whomever, uh, Moses, whatever. Uh, but the moral level, tends, uh, uh, most religions tend to agree on how we should treat each other, um, how uh, our society should be um, organized to help us be decent, um, help our behaviors to be decent toward each other. And we can just rest right there without, um, um, you know, getting into debates about you know whether there's a Christ or not a Christ or Muhammad or not a Muhammad because that that will just lead to the dissolution of any any kind of group uh, discussion that we might might have. I do in the book, as you will notice, because most of our people are, are from the Judeo Christian tradition. I do try to point out things that I believe their um, uh, clerical or religious leaders have not pointed out, uh, uh, certain principles of, of, of liberation that are embedded in all of these um, um, so-called holy books um, or religious books. And I begin each chapter with one of those um, um, principles, like for the very first chapter uh, from taken from the book of Isaiah, for, for we have made lies our refuge, and under fa falsehood, falsehoods have we hid ourselves. Um, and I try to develop that um, in the uh, following paragra um, paragraphs. At one point, I think I point out, I forget for which chapter, 
I point out something that ministers typically have not pointed out to their congregations, at least uh, um, these Christian congregations, is that um, uh, it, it says in Proverbs, envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. And when I have pointed this uh, phrase in, in Proverbs, this verse in Proverbs to uh, uh, my Christian friends and associates, most of them act as if they, they've never heard it before. Even those, these Bible-toting uh, people, it's because it's their attention has never been drawn to that particular passage. Um, as a principle that we, we might take seriously, and particularly right. those of us who call ourselves Christian. I'll hold that thought right there, Dr. Fox. We're going to take a short break, our last break here, and I'll let you finish your thought on the other side. Family, you want to join Dr. Fox, reach out to us at 800-450-7876, 26 away from the top. Here. All your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, our information is power. And thanks for rolling with us this morning, family. Our guest is Dr. Jerome Fox. He's known for his best-selling workbook, Addicted to White, The Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, a shame-based alliance. That's a part of the title. I love a shame-based alliance. Anyway, he's our guest this morning. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you, coming up tomorrow, we're going to hear, or later this week, actually, we're going to hear from the Minister of Wellness, Nathaniel Jordan, also Attorney Dwight Pettit will join us, and, and a panel fighting to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, will give us an update on that fight. So make sure that your radio is locked in tight in Baltimore tomorrow on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. And Dr. Fox, I'm going to let you finish your, your response to about uh, about Christianity, about religion, because we're going to have another call right. from you who wants to talk about religion. Right. Um, as I was saying that, um, oh, we need to uh, um, find things that will not divide us that unite us. So uh, uh, we we need to find precepts in religions that uh, um, we can unify around. Um, as I said, most religions can be um, analyzed on three dimensions, and the one that we can unify around is that moral uh, dimension. Uh, dimension because most religions uh, religions proclaim the same kind of moral code and i was giving an example of one of the uh, precepts in the uh, christian um scripture um that i believe we can unify around and i reminded of uh, the call that at the beginning of each chapter in my workbook i cite one of those christian uh precepts that we ought to be able to learn from and or uh, and unify, not or, uh, learn from and unify around. And I was citing one of them um, that that's at the beginning of chapter two in my workbook, um, where uh, I cite the following: um, envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways, including none of his capitalism, none of his hate, none of his individualism. 
envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. That's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 31. Seek not their peace, meaning the oppressor, or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong. That's from Ezra, in the old, uh, also in the Old Testament, chapter 9, 12. These are principles that you don't have to be a Christian in order to recognize the value in adopting them as precepts uh, um, for our own struggle. Um, much of our um, uh, uh, complaint, unfortunately, uh, about um, um, this white uh, society is out of envy. Uh, we want the um, uh, the table to turn. Uh, uh, we want to be on top, um, enjoying the privilege, uh, the the privileges that come to being in the in the head seat. We we don't want to abandon um, 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 the table or any of its entrees. Uh, we speak of wanting a piece of their pie. I want a piece of the pie. Uh, rather than um, creating our own entree. But the scripture says, envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Um, uh, seek not his wealth forever. We're doing just the opposite of that and wondering why it's not working. As long as we're serving their society, their greed, their um, uh, uh, values, their precepts, uh, that are predicated on us being the uh, um, uh, us being on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, we can't expect to succeed in our quest for liberation. Our quest for liberation under those circumstances only becomes a verbal kind of exercise. Uh, we, we're stating freedom, freedom, freedom. But we're clinging to them. Uh, we're envying the, uh, uh, their glitz and glitter, and then wondering why uh, we can't um, um, uh, uh, get free from them. You you can't get free from your enemy that at the same time you want to be in bed with. You know, it just doesn't make sense, and it doesn't work. You, uh, you either separate emotionally and and spiritually from your enemy, or you join them. And most of us, has, uh, our behavior uh, seems to suggest that we've concluded: if you can't beat them, join them. Okay, sixteen away from the top there. Before I take another call for you, you mentioned that there are five core white values that many of us are addicted to. Can you run them down for us? Yes, uh, in the first chapter, and I only use the first chapter to um, explain the principles of the entire uh, um, procedure that I'm prescribing uh, for us to engage in order to free our minds. But in the first chapter, I list five white values. White value number one, basically everything white is good and everything black is bad. And that explains a lot of our behavior, even though uh, we are um, uh, quick to deny that we believe that. But our behavior demonstrates otherwise. Um, 
um, white value number two, basically things are to be um, valued more than relationships. That's why we, uh, we're, we're willing to destroy each other and our relationships in order to get individually the things that white society tells us we need in order to feel good about ourselves. But in truth, we don't need. We need each other and good relationships among each other. White, um, uh, white value number three, white oppressors are trustworthy recorders and interpreters of history and reality. That's why we don't question what, what is the value system undergirding uh, um, on this context of hate. We don't even question it. Um, I heard uh, President, uh, former President um, Obama, when he, he was uh, stumping for uh, at that time candidate, um, 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 I'm forgetting our present, uh, president's name. Um, Joe Biden. Biden, Biden, I'm sorry. Um, uh, a mental lapse. When he was stumping for Joe Biden, he made a point out of the saying in, in a speech that he delivered in uh, Florida that uh, there is no such thing as white value or black value. There's one value, American values. It made me believe that maybe someone had slipped him a copy of my book, and he took the opportunity to disagree. But in truth, there are different value systems. And we have to recognize that and choose a value system that supports our liberation and not our oppression. Um, but we don't question that because we don't question white oppressors' um, um, interpretation of, of reality or history. Um, white value number four, individualism is be better than collective uh, collectivism. I've already said a lot about that today. White value number five, the best way to feel good about yourself is by surpassing, outdoing, and defeating someone else in an activity, achievement, or personal characteristic, uh, uh, leading to unrelenting competition among us to get that pat on the head uh, uh, from our white enemies, um, as opposed to unifying and co cooperating with one another. We're more interested in... in uh, um, um, competing uh, for that top position, at least in, in the eyesight of our white um, um, oppressors, which is the exact opposite of what we should be engaged in. And it prevents us from um, being unified. Um, you can't unify with a, a people or, or a person that you're competing with. Uh, once again, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Uh, Twelve away from the top. Yeah, I'll just go to line two. Miss Richardson's joining us from Maryland. Good morning, Miss Richardson. Happy New Year. Yes. Good morning, dear, and Happy New Year to you and Doctor Fox. Thank you. Yes. Well, I just had a couple of things, Doctor Fox. You know, you're right on it. I did want to post something about religion, but I want to say first, you're right. We are going to have to detox ourselves because when I uh, talk to other people about uh, how we have to deprogram our minds from thinking, uh, they say, for example, Jesus Christ is this blonde blue eye 
We're going to have mm-hmm. to detox our minds from that because when you look at the world, and Dr. Fox, you're a very educated man. You know these things. Africa, the continent of Africa, if you check on it and do some research, most of that continent... Yeah, Ms. Richardson, do us a favor and put in a question form because we're racing the clock right now. Oh, yes, I see. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well, my question is, I guess, pertaining to that. Uh, how do you see our people in this country and around the world where they're depicting uh, this white, a blonde, blue-eyed person as being their god, a white man. Okay, and I'll hang up, and God bless the both of you. Thank you. Uh, well, I do address that specifically in the book. While I say we shouldn't allow ourselves to be divided by getting bogged down into debating religion, I do address this idea of of um, of a white savior directly in the book so for those of you who have the book and have read it you know what i'm referring to um i was trying to find it real quickly but um clearly how do you fight an oppressor that you consider at the same time to be your god um if all your images of god and if God is the most important in, um, entity in your life, and all of your images of that God are white, it's no wonder we haven't been successful in defeating our white oppressors. Because on the one hand, we may intellectually um, realize that we're under uh, unfair conditions under their rule. But at the same time, if we're worshiping them as God, uh, we we just may as well shut up and endure. You know, and that that's what we've been doing. So clearly, getting uh, this image of God as a white boy out of our heads is a part of the detoxification uh, process. It's also so very interesting that the the very your very religion, at least Christian religion if they've read scripture for themselves, uh, um, forbids making images, human images of God. So you are are so addicted to these white oppressors that you're actually violating your own religion in order to create an an image of God as a white boy. So it's just something to think about. Yes, it is. And and Dr. Fox, are you considering a follow-up book? To addicted to white? No, I'm still just trying to promote this because in truth, that's, a, that's another habit we have, uh, which is, believe it or not, based on capitalism, that we got to keep uh, um, producing new stuff for people to consume. Um, people, uh, this book has not thoroughly been adopted and permeated. Um, our people's societies worldwide uh, itself yet. Um, so there's really no need. Um, I, I, I'm not really, I don't consider myself really to be an author. I'm not into just writing books for writing books' sake. Um, this is a labor of love, and until our people, uh, uh, the majority of our people have um, uh, 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 have knowledge of this and are using this workbook, uh, my focus is on continuing to promote it. Um, 
because in my mind, it's the only way to uh, um, permanent liberation. And yeah. there's nothing more that I can say about that. that so how can we get a copy of the written. book? Yeah, how can we get a copy, uh, Dr. Fox? Um, uh, it's on uh, Amazon.com, and you can ask for it in any bookstore. They can get it for you if they don't already have it. And right. I, I encourage people to do that. Thank you, Dr. Fox. Thanks for writing the book, too. It's it's an eye-opener, mm-hmm. family. If you yeah. get a, uh, Make sure you pick up a copy of the book, Addicted to yeah. White, The Oppressed, The Illegal, The Oppressor. Go ahead, right. real quick. I am, as, as I've mentioned, trying to write a script that incorporates this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, the, the, uh, a TV script. Uh, but the, the prospect of something like that getting picked up is not great, but that I am doing. Well, let's hope some conscious producers out there will pick it up. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm working on it. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Fox. All right, right, family. We're done for the day. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.